Sky Breakdown, Coulter Nuanez. As always, you can find this podcast, SkylineSportsMT.com. Coming to you on a Thursday, September 16th. The only game in the state of Montana this week, or involving Montana teams from around the Big Sky Conference, Montana State Bobcats, they host San Diego. Grizz posted a 42-7 win over Western Illinois last week. Western Illinois, by the way, playing at Eastern Washington this weekend, so that should be an interesting gauge uh, for both those teams. Montana State, they posted a 45-7 win over Drake, and they host the University of San Diego, a second straight Pioneer League opponent for Montana State. And this is the third straight Big Sky Conference opponent for San Diego. The Toreros of the Pioneer Football League lost to Cal Poly 27-13 in their opener. They got drilled last week 53-7 by UC Davis. Now they're on their way to Bozeman to take on Brent Vegan's Bobcats. This podcast, we're going to hear from all the people. We got ourselves a little arsenal here. Skyline Sports and ESPN Missoula. Brooks Nuanas will join us here off the top, give you some analysis about the Bobcats. We're also going to hear from Ryan Tutel talking Grizz and Cats. We're also going to hear from Andrew Houghton talking around the Big Sky Conference and scores and analysis. A couple new contributors here at Skyline Sports and ESPN Missoula. Mary Lou's Cook, the Director of Broadcast and Digital Media at the Big Sky Conference. This is a new segment that we'll share here on the Big Sky Breakdown as well as Nuanas Now, my daily radio show on 1029 ESPN Radio as well as SWX Montana Television. Mary Lou's will give us some of her best storylines from the early on season here in the Big Sky Conference. Let's get here from Alex Elsherman. She's a sideline reporter and general reporter at SWX Montana Television. She's doing a great job covering Montana State as well as sports around the Gallatin Valley. That's part of our Montana State Minute. And then we'll hear from a couple Bobcat players. Caught up with Amandre Williams, Trey Webb earlier this week. And I also caught up with Dale Lindsay, the head coach for the San Diego Toreros as they make their way to Bozeman. As always, you can find this podcast, SkylineSportsMT.com. The Big Sky Breakdown is presented proudly by Blackfoot Communications. Blackfoot has been so awesome in helping all of our podcast dreams come to fruition. Also got a new Catching Up With The Cats and a new Grizz Greats dropping tomorrow. Catching Up With The Cats will feature Brad Daly. That's our third episode. We also caught up with Mike Person and J.P. Flynn earlier this fall. And it'll be our debut episode of Grizz Greats, the 20th anniversary of Montana's 2001 National Championship team. We'll debut that series with an interview with Johnny Montana, John Edwards, Billings West product who led Montana as a quarterback to that 2001 National Championship. Without further ado, the Big Sky Breakdown for the third week of September. At Blackfoot Communications, our mission is to connect people, businesses, and communities to their networks in Montana and beyond. Through Blackfoot sponsorships, local ambassadors, and public programs, we support initiatives such as the Emergency Broadband Benefit, Fiber Deployments, and Community Events. For information on our commitment to improving our communities with fast, reliable, and secure internet access, go to blackfootcommunications.com news. Breakdown marks is on. Brooks Nuanas, SkylineSportsMT.com. Joining us here on the Big Sky Breakdown. You can find the Big Sky Breakdown multiple times per week here at SkylineSportsMT.com. We'll always have the press conferences for you from both head coaches uh, from the state of Montana, both Bobby Houck and uh, Brent Vegan. Also give you as many player interviews as we can. Uh, one look forward to sharing with you, Trey Webb. He'll make his debut here on the Big Sky Breakdown. Awesome interview with him. Transfer safety from San Jose State, who's uh, making waves for MSU already. So I'm really got to the bottom of the story in terms of why he transferred to Montana. So I asked him multiple times. You'll hear it. He's a guy of, of uh, big time faith. And he says God works in mysterious ways. But uh, interesting because he chose Montana State over Notre Dame. So that's uh, sort of the way college football is going right now. Uh, but before we get to any of that, let's talk about the weekend that was. 
We had uh, night games under the light, both uh, Montana and Montana State. Almost identical scores. The Grizzlies won 42-7 over Western Illinois. Bobcats won 45-7 over Drake. Uh, but Brooks, it's been a long, long time, a couple years since you were on the sidelines at Bobcat Stadium shooting photos. So uh, just take us through it, not necessarily even the action of the game, but just what was Gold Rush like this year? I heard Bozeman was pretty lit on Saturday night. Yeah, man, it was awesome. It, it was a beautiful evening for football. You know, the weather-wise, it couldn't have really got better. I mean, it was 75, and there was an evening glow that is really unique in, in southwest Montana. You know, big sky with a beautiful sunset, and the whole crowd wearing gold. I mean, it was gorgeous, for sure. Um, and there was some great some great energy, especially early on. The energy, I think people kind of forgot how to do the whole thing. You know, that would be one of my best, better evaluations of it. That's not a knock on anyone. It was just the energy was was big time. And then the tailgates were really enticing, and there's a new beer garden, and, and just some, some distractions kind of happened. So there wasn't like a rip-roaring crowd as far as um, the energy of the actual enthusiasm goes, the yelling, the screaming, the cowbells. It was all there, especially in the first half. Um, but it kind of calmed down after that and felt like a pretty secure victory for the Bobcats kind of going away. Even though I was, as you mentioned, before we jump into the action, I was impressed with Drake did not back down at all. Uh, the first quarter, I was like, damn, definitely going to lose this game by a lot. But, wow, like impressive as far as their ability to get after it. So, uh, yeah, it was cool to watch Division One football, you know, especially live. It was, uh, it, you know, the pads crack a little different when you're up close. And you know, I've been to some practices. I went to some spring ball stuff and all that kind of stuff. But you know, live game action, when you're trying to move a, another man from point A to point B, like the whole sound of, up close and personal, a whole different thing. So it was, it was very, uh, very exciting to be back. It's also fun to analyze the the teams that come into Bobcat Stadium or Washington Grizz for that matter that are the decided underdogs and everybody in the stadium including that team knows it but then they play uh, really really hard because it is one of the best venues that they've seen it's almost like when uh, Montana Montana State goes to these FBS schools as well so not surprised that Drake a team out of the Pioneer Football League was pretty solid uh, disciplined played hard well coached all that that's always been sort of the trademark not only of that program but of the league as well because you know it's they're all private schools that are non-scholarship but they're these guys are choosing to go to these schools to play football and to to learn at a high level because they're smart Uh, but also it's not as if these guys couldn't there's a lot of guys that i guess what i'm saying is are fcs level players even if they are quote-unquote not on scholarship at drake it's not as if they have a whole squad full of just straight walk-ons they have a bunch of guys that can play a little bit that also then probably put a higher priority on academics so i mean just in terms of talent i mean you saw some talent there for drake right Oh, absolutely, man. Like, yeah, I'm sorry. I always go and sit on, on the 50-yard line and kind of watch both teams warm up. I usually watch the, the quote-unquote visiting team warm up a lot to kind of get the feel. What's this team look like? And I mean, dudes that are strapped, you know? I mean, I saw some quads and some and some biceps. And you're just like, Jesus, this, I mean, this is impressive. These guys are Division One football players, like some big, big dudes, some big linemen. The quarterback was tough as nails. Now he got pounded. He had some, like... And he got pile drives onto both shoulders multiple times. He got hit out of bounds and lost his helmet. I mean, he's all of six foot, 185, 198. I didn't look at the roster for that part, but I mean, we're not a big dude and just tough as nails. And their head coach was coaching every position group. Young guy, super dynamic. I liked everything about that. So, yeah, I mean, this wasn't. I think that when I talk about the raucous environment in, in either of these towns this weekend, I think that Western Illinois is, comes off as a little bit more like a like opponent. 
you know, a team that has made the FCS playoffs, a team that is people are familiar with. You know, I think about several guys in the NFL that I watched on Sunday that went to Western Illinois, including Kalen Saunders, the starting defensive tackle for the Chiefs. And I think of guys all over the board. It's a little more like a like opponent, but I, I was still very impressed with Drake. And as you mentioned, it, it's a good league. And you said these guys aren't on athletic scholarships. They are on academic scholarships. It's a different model, you know. Someone, a local kid getting a full ride to Montana State, you know, he's getting 14000 bucks a year in, in aid. Uh, a full ride guy academically at Drake is probably getting forty to forty-five to $50,000 in aid a year, you know. So I think that you can't really take away from the fact that it's a non-scholarship league due to the academic prowess. Uh, but, yeah, overall, there was definitely talent there. There was, there was no slouch. I'm telling you, if you watched the game and you didn't see the couple big, there was a 25-yard touchdown, a 35-yard touchdown, a 55-yard touchdown. If those plays didn't exist, it was truly like a 24-7 to game. No question. This is your first time seeing the Bobcats since, since uh, you know, live in person in a game since Jeff Choate left. What were the biggest differences you noticed just in the way the Bobcats operate? Well, you know, the defensive scheme is different. Um, you know, some similar concepts as far as getting guys – in, not in space, but trying to isolate certain defenders to be able to go make plays, letting linebackers run, that nickel or safety position is still being really involved in the run game, which is which was a, a Jeff Choate staple as well. You know, with the offensive line, Brett Deegan talked about it, and I want to dig into this a bunch more. They've struggled to run the football with what you and I have both kind of have called the best running back in the Big Sky Conference in Isaiah Fonse. They've struggled to run the football, and they've been open about that. And the reason why, you know, it's still to be seen. Brent Vegan mentioned on Monday that they're starting two freshmen in Justice Perkins, Perkins and TJ Sessions. But in my mind, you know, Jeff Chilton started freshmen like that right from the jump, and those guys grew, and, and kind of that's how they became the team they were. But in the beginning, you know, that was a three- or four-win team, kind of due to that lack of, of experience up front. So it, it's kind of like a rewind to that where we thought and we kind of openly have named not only the best running back in the league, but very, very likely the best offensive line in the league with Lewis Kidd, who might be the best offensive lineman in, in, in the Big Sky Conference. Taylor Tuyasasopo, you bring back, you get a transfer in Cole Sane, you bring back a guy like Zach Red, you lose Connor Woods in Missouri, and then you have two freshmen come in with a Cole Sane injury, and then things start to look different real quick. And I think that's you know part of the FCS level is depth or lack thereof. Um, so up front, especially, it looks different. They don't maul quite the same way just because I think that they don't have that ability right now. Um, and they also are, are, are running and implementing a quick pass game, which is um, a little bit different than what we've seen from Jeff Cho. It was just a true, you know, it's not even a triple option. It's a single option. <laughs> single option, ground and pound. Uh, this is a little bit different than that, you know. I think that I can't remember exactly how many throws Matt McKay attempted, um, on Saturday, but you know, I think that the rushing attempts and the passing attempts were probably pretty darn close. Where in the Jeff Choate era, if you look at more of like a, a, a 60 rushing attempts to, to 15 to 20 passing attempts, so I think this is more of, of a 30 30 kind of situation. Bobcats so far have run the ball 67 times for 270 yards, that's four yards per carry on the dot. Uh, 121 yards rushing against Wyoming, including 106 for Isaiah Fonse. 
and then 149 yards rushing, including 60 for Afonso on 19 carries, so 3.2 yards per carry. So you're right, Afonso bottled up a little bit against Drake. Uh, 29 throws per game uh, in each each game. Matt McKay exactly 29. Excuse me, I guess Tucker Rovick threw four passes, so 25 attempts for McKay against Drake. 29 overall for the team, so 29 in each game. Uh, so first and foremost, just not running as many plays. Um, and that's not that actually surprising to me. But uh, twofold there, I think that, one, it's always going to look like they're struggling to run the ball compared to how well they ran the ball under Choate because that was, in terms of pure non-triple option type rushing game, the best I've ever seen in the Big Sky Conference. I think that some of Bruce Barnum's Portland State teams maybe could, could sort of rival it, but in t- especially because of the quarterback run game. Uh, pretty hard to rival what Montana State's done running the football the last handful of years under Choate. But that said, I also think that, what do you think of this? I mean, do you think the defenses are giving them way different pre-snap looks and way different alignments to try to force them to prove that they can throw the ball? I think so. I mean, if you go into this game, it doesn't matter how much film that you can garner from this season. It's just the general premise of a team that goes to the national semifinals and runs the ball 60 times with five running backs. I mean, I don't think that no matter a head co- new head coach or not, that's going to change. I think teams are going to stack the box and make make McKay beat you. And so far, you know, he had a chance to beat Wyoming and, and he put on a, a, a pretty solid passing performance. He can strike. Um, he's looked the parts thus far. Uh, I thought Tokarovic, when he got in, he looked really, he looked great. I mean, the, the touchdown that he threw in the corner of the end zone to Cam Gardner was just a great throw. I mean, it was on the money. And, and Drake had not really, you know, put in a bunch of backups yet. It was still there. Uh, they're starting rotation. So things are different. And as you mentioned, it, you know, I don't think you can run the ball as well as Jeff Cho did or Montana State did this last four seasons, period. I, I, don't, I think that that's quite a run that will be unrivaled for a very long time. But when you talked about uh, Fonsa getting bottled up, I mean, I, in, in this Drake game, they had a 16-yard rush, a 9-yard rush. If you take those away, I believe they averaged about 2.8 yards a carry against a non-scholarship team. We just went through what that looks like, you know, in the, from the Pioneer League. But that's just the fact of the matter on paper. Is that this is a non-scholarship team. That was in 2.8 yards of carry. Infante fumbled it twice, once in the end zone. That was counted as a touchdown. Once that he fumbled in the hole, got popped. Ball came out. He recovered it himself, kind of mid-air almost. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this was not really what you're used to of seeing the holes just being closed so darn quickly. Usually there's some cutback lanes and some gash plays that the Cats are not experiencing right now. I, you know, I don't think it's necessarily a concern because they have plenty of time to start to continue to work on this going into conference play. Um, and those young guys, you know, when you're a freshman, you've never played like a Justice Perkins TJ Sessions. I mean, every snap is invaluable. It, 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 you are gaining experience and you are becoming better every single play, let alone every game. Uh, as long as you're staying healthy, the looks you're getting, the experience you're getting with the physicality of, uh, of the game is, is, is so important. So I can see those things taking huge strides. But as I mentioned, man, I mean, Wyoming was no such on defense, that's for sure. And, they, and Montana State started to lean on them in the second half. And I think that was really important um, to stick with it. It didn't really happen as much with Drake. You wonder if you're kind of, you know, you're up by three, four scores. You take your foot off the gas a little bit. I think that could totally be a part of – the narrative there, but I also think that the sense of urgency for a team that has some of the most talent in the Big Sky Conference and some of the most talent in the country should probably be a little bit higher as you try to go on to a deep playoff run um, throughout this entire season. What's so funny looking at the box score, because you, know, you used to see 
9, 10, 11 rushers for Montana State. I think they had 23 guys that carried the ball back in 2019. On Saturday, you had McKay get eight carries behind Afonso's 19. Elijah Elliott, five carries. Cam Gardner, two. Lance McCutcheon, one. Still haven't seen a carry for Demarius Hosey. Still haven't seen a carry for Lane Sumner. That's a far – still haven't seen a carry for Jahari Martin. I think that uh, the old staff would have gotten all those guys, at least a couple touches, just to see what was going on. And, of course, they probably would have given the ball to 15 as well because they just can't help themselves. But then you look at the passing game. Lance McCutcheon, Willie Patterson, Cam Gardner, Coy Steele, Jane Smith, Elijah Elliott, Charles Brown, RJ Fitzgerald, Derek Snell. That's 11 guys catching passes. So uh, a, a different feel for sure. I've always thought it's so funny because no matter what fan base you're talking about, teams with passionate fan bases, the fans are always going to acknowledge what the team does really well. But they're always going to pine for the opposite of that because people just love the novelty of what is not right in front of them. In other words... When MSU was running the ball for 280 yards a game, people still were pining for better quarterback play. Granted, the quarterback play of the Jeff Todera left plenty to be desired, for sure. So the offensive play calling in terms of its diversity. But as Cho used to always say, if I can run the ball for 400 yards, why would I throw it? It's the truth. But I think it's just so funny because Montana State has been in this situation for a long time. Even though Jeff Choate, they ran the ball so effectively, they also ran the ball really effectively during the Rob Ash era, especially when Jason McAdoo was the offensive line coach. And they had great linemen like Mike Person and J.P. Flynn and John Widenauer and, you know, Joel Horn. I, just, I find it funny, you know, when it, when uh, you know when Bobby Houck's Grizz teams in the 2000s were running the ball down people's throats, everybody wanted more passing game, more passing game. So... Now, no, though, maybe MSU has more passing game, more passing game, and maybe it'll be the run game that people are yearning for. Oh, I think so, man. But when you're talking about this, you know, people who are new to this podcast, uh, this won't be, a, this will be a, maybe, you know, a breath of fresh air or something that you agree with. People who are not new have heard me say this endlessly. We're talking about the national landscape going out to national championships. You have to do both. You can't be one-sided. And, and, and we talk about Montana State has endlessly been one-sided for the better part of the last 10 years. You know, with Dakota Prukoff at, at quarterback, with J.P. Flynn, Chad Newell, and, and Gunnar Brecky, it's you know, a dynamic running game, and, and they were diverse in the passing game, and they just couldn't play defense. So when we talk about having to do it all, you got to play defense, you got to play special teams, you got to be able to run and pass the ball if you want to have a chance to win a national championship. We look at a team like Weber State, who has been the kings of the Big Fed Conference, dominant, run the ball very, very well. Defensively, Unbelievable. The secondary, the front seven, their, especially their defensive line, depth that they can roll, the absolutely grown men that they put out there, the physicality that they can play on defense. They can't pass the football and they get smashed in the playoffs. It's just how it goes. You've got to be able to, to do everything in this league in, in, at this level of football, especially when you're talking about it's not a one-game scenario. You get into a national playoff and you've got to win three weeks in a row. And have, I'm praying to God that you get North Dakota State on a bad day because otherwise it's going to be a long day for you because guess what? They can throw the ball all over the yard and smash it down your throat with power. They get under center with a fullback right in front of you. Everything is uh, about them is diverse, including their play calling. Even when it's not diverse, the, ability, the amount of talent they can put on the field is. It's an important national landscape picture we talk about with Montana, Montana State. I, I'll never let that down as far as when well, you can run the football for 280 yards. Well, on third and 17, or on third and 11, I don't know what you're going to do. 
At Blackfoot Communications, our mission is to connect people, businesses, and communities to their networks in Montana and beyond. Through Blackfoot sponsorships, local ambassadors, and public programs, we support initiatives such as the Emergency Broadband Benefit, Fiber Deployments, and Community Events. For information on our commitment to improving our communities with fast, reliable, and secure internet access, go to blackfootcommunications.com slash news. Pixie Breakdown presented by Blackfoot Communications. Thanks to Blackfoot for all their support of all of our podcasting endeavors. Really been awesome in helping all of our podcasting dreams come true. We'll have Big Sky Breakdowns for you three, four times a week here. SkylineSportsMT.com. We also have a new podcast series in association with ESPN Missoula. Catching up with the cats. Uh, this week, actually still rounding up my guest, but we have two episodes up so far. Mike Person, former Montana State captain, who then went on to a nine-year NFL career, as well as J.P. Flynn, also another offensive lineman, former Bobcat captain, who also had a cup of coffee in the NFL. Those are the first two episodes up there. They're really fun listens for sure. And also, be sure to check out Grizz Greats, launching the third iteration of Grizz Greats, the 20th anniversary of Montana's 2001 National Championship team. I got uh, a couple interviews in the can, one with Dylan. McFarland, an NFL offensive lineman for the he went from the Grizzlies to the Buffalo Bills and then also Johnny Montana, John Edwards, the quarterback for the Montana Grizzlies as well. So stay tuned for those later on this week, maybe into the weekend. Uh, Brooks, your first time seeing Matt McKay in live game action. I thought the uh, the second touchdown pass to Willie Patterson, where they ran a play action, sort of run pass option. McKay pressed the edge and then threw to Patterson out in the flat. That was a, a, a bright spot, a, a version of a play that we haven't seen in Montana State in a long time, a very creative play, first and foremost, but also sort of the microcosm of how you can use Matt McKay's skill set. So um, to me, he looks just like a very fluid, smooth. I, I think his arm talent's good. It's not like insane. I, you know, He's not like this crazy gunslinger, but he, he is smooth and accurate. I think he's... Uh, smoothing his ability to run and and operate, and I think he's a cool customer. I think that there's still a lot left for him to unleash. I think he has not even close to found his ceiling yet, but your first impression of seeing him live and in person. Yeah, you know, I agree with, with, with your analysis of it. I, I, I do think that he's a smooth athlete, has a, a good command of, of the pace of play and, and the pace of offense. You know, he's very much in control. Uh, he made a lot of good, uh, you know, pass pass protection checks at the line. Uh, wasn't taking a ton of pressure. Was communicating well uh, with that with his with, with, within within the backfield with, and within that offensive line, which I thought was impressive, especially for a what we call you know a young guy. But he's not. You know, he's been around in college football. He's, he's made starts at the FBS level. Um, the kind of guy that has enough experience that shouldn't be surprising. But it's also refreshing because you know, we haven't seen that a lot from Montana State of far as getting into different plays offensively and be able to move the ball. They've done the house, right? Taylor house, right? You know, new offensive first year offensive coordinator has clearly has a vision and it really enjoys throwing to the wide side of the field. I mean, we see them on, on the left hash throw wide to the right numbers um, endlessly, you know, against Wyoming, I feel like it was every dar- every darn throw. I mean, it was 20 times that they did that, whether it's a little slant or a little hook route, a little, maybe just a little, a little in route um, and trying to get the ball into space with seven, you take your seven yards. If a guy, if you make a guy miss, you might get a big chunk play. You might go score the thing, but if not, it's kind of like an extension of the passing game. You're getting six, seven yards. 
And Lance McCutcheon has been the, the, on the other end of a lot of those receptions. Um, and you're getting down, and all of a sudden you're in second and three, and you run the football, and you're, you're playing in a, in a positive game script. So I think it's been really interesting. So I think Matt McKay has been you know, assisted by Brent Vegan as well as Taylor Housewright and their ability to kind of think about the script a little differently than a full-blown I'm still trying to decide what to call this offense because it's not a West. It has no West Coast principles. It has very few spread principles besides the alignment. Um, the, the route tree and the kind of what they're implementing when it's not shot plays is very much just what you'd kind of see under Jeff Choate there that they just never threw the football. Uh, a lot of short intermediate routes, not a ton of crossing stuff, not a ton of rub routes, not a ton of deep uh, traditional concepts. Um, so, a little bit out of the backfield, which was which has been interesting. But when you talk about Matt McKay's play, everything that I like about Matt McKay or that I liked in practice when you first see him is true. It's real. Uh, some of the things that you you know you, when you look at the eye test, those things have come to fruition. They are real, which is nice to see when when the bullets are live. Uh, he does have a tendency to tug the football a little bit early. When he sees or feels pressure, he tucks it. A lot of times he gets it back up into the, into the arm slot, into the throwing position, but he's not afraid to, or rather really does lean on tucking the football relatively quickly. Uh, but he does get down, doesn't take a bunch of big hits. Overall, I've been very impressed. I can see why he won the job. It's not just the pedigree. It definitely has the, the, the talent that is displayed on the field. At Blackfoot Communications, our mission is to connect people, businesses, and communities to their networks in Montana and beyond. Through Blackfoot sponsorships, local ambassadors, and public programs, we support initiatives such as the Emergency Broadband Benefit, fiber deployments, and community events. For information on our commitment to improving our communities with fast, reliable, and secure internet access, go to blackfootcommunications.com news. How about Willie Patterson? I know he's a guy that's been there's there's always a couple guys that are sort of the off-season heroes that then can never really break in because of just whatever circumstance, whether it's they're getting elevated opportunities during spring ball because somebody in front of them is maybe a little banged up, maybe a high usage guy that isn't taking as many reps because the coaches know what they can do. Or, you know, you're just flashing when you're playing against your own team, but then you can't really make it happen during game time. Or, like Patterson, mostly has been banged up. And when he's, every time he seems like he's going to flash, he gets banged up. And then he also has had one of the hardest working and uh, most well-liked guys on the team, Coy Steele, playing the same position as him. So each time he falls behind Steele, he can't really overcome him. But all that said... Uh, he's a charismatic dude who's really well liked in the locker room, and uh, he's a he's a great guy with the media for sure. I know he got himself in some trouble after his backflip, and wasn't allowed to do the post game press conference, and was not uh, he was on the no fly list this week as well for media. Which I don't want to digress and, and debate that because I got different opinions. I, I get what Vegan's trying to do in terms of discipline and whatever the point he's trying to make, and it's a learning moment and all that. But also like. What did you expect Willie Patterson was going to do when he scored a touchdown on Gold Rush? Of course he's going to do a backflip. He's like the walking impersonation of James Brown on the Bobcats. I mean, he's such a sweet, smooth dude. I don't know. That's not surprising. I think you should let the kids have some fun sometimes. Either either way, though, Patterson had a breakout game with a pair of touchdowns. Uh, I know that he's a guy that sometimes you want to say, man, this guy's going to be a big-time star. Other times you're like, man, is he really even that good? Where are we at with Willie Patterson, and and can he build off of his great performance Saturday? Yeah, and you, you referenced that 
that Matt McCabe pressed the edge, throw it to the outside. Willie Patterson make him all miss. That was his first touchdown. His second touchdown, a 30-yard bomb over the shoulder. Catch it in, you know, with a with pretty solid defense from a Drake cornerback. Uh, then, you know, kind of by himself in the end zone after a second gold rush touchdown. Hunks the back foot right in front of me. It was impressive athletically. Uh, yeah, Brent Megan's not interested in having any fun, I guess. Uh, it was not the national championship, I'll tell you that. So, I think it was probably a fair penalty uh, for the crowd. Got quite into it. But as you mentioned, I digress as far as that, that point of, of burning a program is, is not here nor there for me to, to uh, comment or decide on. Uh, but Willie Patterson is quite impressive athletically, as you mentioned, Colter, a former quarterback. We all know that you know how much Jeff Chubb loves that that ideal. Let's get 45 quarterbacks on the team. Uh, Willie Patterson is one of that, um, and a really a, a dynamic athlete. I think a lot of those injuries. He's faced two broken collarbones. I think on either both collarbones have been broken. That's just due to him being a slight guy. You know, and people talk about the hits in football. It's not the collision that hurts in football. It's you landing on the ground with a 300-pound dude landing on top of you. Exactly. That's what, That's what breaks bones. Like, the ground is what hurts. The head-to-head, sure, it can ring your bell. There can be really violent hits, but it's really more of the finish-off. How do you get planted into the ground? And Willie Passion, he's a small dude. Again, I don't have the roster in front of me, but I kind of just sort of around a guy like that. I call him five nine and a half, hundred and eighty pounds now that he's been in the weight room, but a 175-pound guy, a small guy. Uh, so he struggled with those kind of injuries, uh, but he is dynamic in the open field. He has juice, you know. You can tell this year, too, as we mentioned in the, in the preseason, how guys have started to look different physically. Willie Patterson is one of those guys. I would say he's at least 10 pounds, if not maybe 12 or 15 pounds bigger than he was maybe his second year in the program. Uh, he has gained weight. He looks more mature, and that's super important for what the position they're putting him in. You saw the house put with the, with, with the phantom uh, blocking the back call at Wyoming, which was an impressive putt. I mean, that thing, very few guys, once it opens up, you know, we see it, we see it at Montana. We've seen it at Montana State with some of the great returners. You see one block happen, and you see the whole thing open up. You're like, oh, that thing's in the house. It takes, it's not just the blocking. It takes a special skill set. Louis Patterson has that skill set. Also, as I mentioned, two different touchdowns were scored in drastically different ways. One is a screen pass, more or less, and the other is a 33-yard bomb over the shoulder. Both of those show a dynamic skill set for a transitioned uh, quarterback to wide receiver. So I, I do think that Willie Patterson can be elite in the league. You know, I don't know what his ending numbers will be. He might be kind of a lower volume guy, but a high touchdown ceiling. I think that when he gets his hands on the ball, if things set up right for him, I mean, it, it is a guy that can make it happen. So I hope he stays healthy. As you mentioned, he's a very funny guy. Isaiah Infante talked about in his interview, uh, you know, a guy that he said he knew Willie Patterson since sophomore year of high school, same area that he grew up in. They went to the same gym and trained at, uh, which I believe is Ford Sports. Um, he talked about how Willie Patterson, the biggest thing is that he's matured. And I think that's a big part of uh, when you talk about kind of being the class clown, you're being the leader, you're being a guy that really likes to joke around, deciding when it's business time and deciding how to hone some of that. I think that Willie Patterson is starting to gain a little bit of traction as far as that goes. I think the sky is the limit for a guy with that kind of talent. It's going to be a long-term analysis, the way the Bobcat offense has changed because it is distinctly different, and that was the expectation when they hired an offensive-minded coach who's been an offensive coordinator for years and years. A guy that's a reviewer as a quarterback guru and all that. It's going to take a long time for that to all truly come to fruition, especially because this is an inherited roster. Plus, we're used to seeing this Bobcat team operate in a specific way. 
All that said, the defensive changes are equally as drastic in terms of the scheme, but I think Montana State looks incredibly good defensively. I don't know if they are as um, physically intimidating in terms of just punch you square in the face, but how can you be when you don't have you know the, the some of the tougher guys in the history of their program like Tucker Yates? But that said, I think that they have as much speed as anybody in the country on defense. I think that they're playing to that speed at all three levels of their defense. And uh, more than just the actual natural speed of the athletes, they're playing incredibly fast. And to me, that means the guys understand the system, they're bought into the system, and they like the system. I think that the linchpins of this current lineup are Chase Benson up front, and that allows Daniel Hardy to use all his speed off the edge. Obviously, the Troy Anderson in the middle, but I think also Callahan O'Reilly's ability to run really, really emphasizes the scheme. And then on the back end, Jeffrey Manning, Trey Webb are really talented guys. I think that the corners, although they're raw, do have a lot of ability, specifically James Campbell, Eric Zambrano, and Simeon Woodard. Tyrell Thomas's return will be a welcome one for sure. But to me, perhaps the linchpin of the entire defense is Ty Okada. And I had to chuckle to myself because Okada got a question in the post-game press conference after the Drake win about being a fill-in. And I was just chuckling because it was just a, a purely a lack of preparation by the reporter asking that question. Ty Okada's not a fill-in. <laughs> Ty Okada's been a starter for the Bobcats for years. I mean, 2018 and 2019, he started down the stretch, first at nickel, then at safety. He's been the third safety. He's been the big nickel. He's been the traditional nickel. But he's the guy that makes the whole thing work. He's the mechanism of the whole defense because he can play in the box. He can guard the slot. He can switch over to safety. He can run the alley. He can play free safety in the center field. He can do everything. So I just think that, to me, as much as Montana State's offense is, to me, a work in progress I think their defense even though it looks drastically different I was so skeptical on taking the true edge guys like Troy Anderson Daniel Hardy and Amandre Williams off the edge but as of right now they look like they're playing fast and furious to me yeah they really are man I, I thought the Tao Okada thing was so damn funny too <laughs> yeah it was just they're the so lucky that he's so nice man like because he like looked at him like what are you talking about bro like yeah. I started here for three years <laughs> Oh, he's really come in and filled that role really well. And his role that they built for him, he's actually come in and filled well. You imagine that? That'd be crazy. I mean, he's um, like, he, first of all, who's better at the media than him? I mean, my goodness, he's so good at the at answering questions. He really is. Um, yeah. It'll be really interesting. When that question was asked, regardless of the quality, it did bring up a point of you have Jeffrey Manning, Trey Webb, Ty Okada, and Tyrell Thomas, that's four of your best seven or eight defensive players, and you can only play three of them at a time. What does that look like? Is Tyrell Thomas now the odd man out? I, it very well might be. There's no way you could take those other three off the field. So James Campbell has been at that position, and that position only, the only starter at that, what you call almost like a field corner. Eric Zambrano's a young guy. Maybe Tyrell Thomas rotates with Zambrano. And because James Campbell earned that other side, but like, I, there's just no way that you want to rotate Thomas and Okada. That just makes zero sense. Ty Okada cannot come off the field. Uh, so I did think that when I, that question was posed, I, I was wondering, 
is Tyrell Thomas going to be the odd man out here, which would be a super big bummer because he has been a great player, but he's just battled injury. You know, another guy, just we talked about Willie Patterson, he's relatively slight, you know. I mean, just not that big of a guy. Carries a little bit more weight on his upper body. He's had some lower body injuries. He's got skinny ankles, you know, that athletic-looking ankle. Sometimes has, is prone, especially the low-top shoe, the athletic position like corner. We'll see how that all plays out. But you talk about the defense overall playing fast. It is they're playing at a a different athletic level than they have in the past years. As you mentioned, they used to be a little bit more punch in the face, a little more of a bruising style. They also used to have those edge positions set up so you can get after the quarterback in a little bit of a different way. I will be interested to see if they can get after the quarterback this year. Um, on third down, they're taking off the other defensive tackle besides Chase Benson, so that could be a Blake Schmidt. That could be whoever's at that other defensive tackle who's playing more of like a five-tech. Chase Benson stays at that two-eye or maybe bumps over to almost like a true nose, and they put a Madre Williams inside, and they bring in Brody, Brody Greeby to the outside. So Madre then goes on third downs to a defensive tackle position, uh, which he has then has more than one way to go. You, know, you talk about the edge, you kind of have that outside. You can't get inside, you can't break contain, so you only kind of have a one-way go. When you move a Madre in, then all of a sudden you have a two-way go. And that, for a guy with those pass rushing skills and that physicality, I mean, everyone who's starting to notice it loves that style of scheme there, especially on third down. So that has been really interesting to watch. Um, as you mentioned, the two linebackers, and Troy Anderson and, and Callahan O'Reilly, have been running really well getting to the ball. Um, I've been surprised they haven't played the big nickel, as in like a Tatum Gilman. Uh, they've been sticking with Okada, but, you know, when you talk about him in the press conference, Cole, but he came in with a cutoff shirt. When he's sitting down in the video, you can't really see. He walked in, and I walked out right behind him and stood in the stairwell and chatted with him for a second. I mean, God damn, he's big. I had no idea. Like, yes. he seems like a pretty skinny guy, a former walk-on, not a very big dude. He had a cutoff on, and I've been around college football my entire life. I've been a weight room warrior myself for a very long time, portions of my life. He was Jack City. I was amazed. He's like, jacked, man. Upper body development. It was so it was so darn impressive. I mean, his traps were to his ears. I was like, when did this happen? Like, what is going on here? So, all of that being said, he did look like a linebacker standing there next to me. You know, and, I, and I'm, I'm all of six two, two hundred and five pounds, and I mean, this dude was plenty big uh, enough to play inside that box. Which he had two tackles for loss in that game. Two explosive plays that were probably the, the most tone setting plays of the entire game on either side of the ball. Uh, which I really like to see. And, and you talk about some of that athleticism, it's also transitioning over into special teams. We're seeing really athletic, dynamic guys on special teams, and they run their asses off. And, you know, without a special teams coordinator, with a bunch of freshmen as the, as the kicking units, the special teams unit, due to that athleticism, has been also impressive. Here's what I think Montana State's going to do when Tyrell Thomas returns. I think they're going to play. I think they're going to try to play Tyrell Thomas at nickel. I think they're going to move Ty Okada to safety next to Jeffrey Manning. I think they're going to try to play Trey Webb at corner. That's my prediction. I have no nothing to stand by on that besides the fact that I've heard from multiple people that Trey Webb can't play corner. Yeah, I like that. That's you know, I I think that that gets your best players on the field. I think they call him Easy Eric Zambrano. Uh, you, you know, he can play. He's a young guy, but he's long, long levers. He's not afraid to tackle. He plays the ball fairly well. James Campbell, uh, you know, a, a converted receiver, has I have nothing bad to say about it. You know, he hasn't made explosive plays by any means, but he's held his own. So I like that. I like those four guys you mentioned, Manning, Webb, 
Okada and Tyrell Thomas on the field. I think that's you know the best four in that secondary by far. Well, much to continue to be analyzed, and we will continue to bring you the best in analysis here at the Big Sky Breakdown. Montana State hosts San Diego, 1 p.m., Bobcat Stadium. Be sure to tune in to K-Sky Country two hours before the game. I'll have my Bobcat Sports Saturday, as I've been doing for, I believe it's my 11th year now there. And uh, we're moving over from the Eagle to K-Sky, but it'll be fun to be on the country station with Dave Wooten. So I'll swing on by Town of Country Foods and check us out. Uh, we'll be having uh, a little barbecue with some brats and some drinks and all that, and uh, we'll bring you the best in pregame coverage as well. Uh, but Brooks, just a couple of things for you as we uh, look forward to this San Diego game. The Bobcats have a narrow loss to Wyoming in their opener. Uh, decided and uh, pretty, I don't want to say easy, but uh, convincing victory over Drake in game two. What are you looking for from a Pioneer League squad coming to town in San Diego? What are you looking for the Bobcats? But also, uh, how much of a litmus test do you think this is? Because San Diego, this is their third Big Sky game in three weeks. They played Cal Poly and surprisingly lost 27-13 to Bo Baldwin's squad. They also played UC Davis last week. And Dale Lindsay, San Diego's head coach, told me he thinks this is Dan Hawkins' best squad there at Davis. Uh, Davis rung it up on San Diego, 53-7. So the, the Toreros maybe not as good as they have been uh, during their time as a playoff squad several years in a row coming out of the Pioneer Football League. But they will be well coached. They'll have some good athletes. They'll have some toughness. But more than anything, I think this game is about Montana State concentrated on Montana State. Their last tune-up before Big Sky Conference play. What are you looking for from the Bobcats? Yeah, you know, I think that as you start to get into the third week of, of the actual regular season, that you, you want to see what starts to change. Is there diversity on offense and defense? How much have they shown of the scheme and the playbook that they're wanting to get to? Usually by the time conference starts, of course, you keep some plays up your sleeve. But the overall identity of what it's going to be in the first, you know, three, four, five weeks is really laid out on the table. I want to see if that starts to become more clear. Wyoming and Drake – honestly, offensively looked a little bit similar. You know, defensively, I thought there were some little bit changes. I thought they played better against Wyoming um, as far as just the way that they got after the run game and the quarterback um, and the pass rush. So overall, I think what, what's new, how much of the identity is solidified? What is the run game? How's that continue to look? Uh, do more guys get carries? Can they get going a little bit earlier offensively in the game. Um, and you, you look at a team in San Diego who you mentioned might be down this year, yet to be seen, is that team a little bit more of a equal opponent than maybe a Drake is? And how does Montana State you know, rise to the occasion, especially at home, and play well on both, on both sides of the ball? That would be what I'm looking for. It's just kind of the consistency and identity and how that continues to play. We're going to continue to talk Grizz football. And Ryan Tutel just be our Grizz star of the week. How about that? Ryan Tutel, by the way, joining me, Coulter Nuwana's here. The closest song uh, I'll ever get. That's exactly right. <laughs> but, you, you know, you know the Grizz about as good as anybody. So let's start with the most broad of broad questions, Gus. We were there in the press box mm-hmm. last Saturday to watch Montana's home opener. A dominant 42-7 victory over Western Illinois. 151 yards of total offense for the Leathernecks. Six sacks and 11 tackles for loss for the Grizz defense. Zero points allowed by the Grizz defense, and that's the trend. They haven't allowed a single point since the opening drive of the game against the Washington Huskies. When Bobby Houck said it, I did a double take. He said 115 minutes without a score. Then I did the math real quick. Coach Houck was off by 14 seconds. It's 114 minutes and 46 seconds, but same difference. 
unbelievable. This day and age in college football, that doesn't happen. No, it doesn't. Uh, you know, the defense, what what can you say? I mean, one one opening drive to the Huskies, and that's it. And, uh, you know, obviously uh, the only points were off of a turnover in the in the Western Illinois game. Uh, I think, I thought the most telling thing to me about this game, look, we've seen the Montana Grizzlies over the years win a lot of games effectively 42-7. to seven, you Sure, know? yeah. If they beat Dixie State 42-7, to seven, I don't think it, many people are going to bat an eye to sure. you know if that was to transpire, right? And you go, well, what do we really know about this team, okay? It's hard sometimes to sit here. Now, I think coming out of the Washington game, you go, okay, I think we know some things about the Montana Grizzlies. But sometimes in the course of these games, you go, you know, what are we look? Are we looking at a team that's just utterly outmatched? I mean, clearly we are, you know. When it, right. But also, what does this mean about the national level that the University of Montana is at. And honestly, the, the most telling thing to me in all of that happened after the game. In the yep. press conference, yep. Jared Elliott comes in. He's a head coach of yep. Western Illinois. No players come, which is always a bad sign. Right. Uh, if no, no, If no players are invited by their coach or brought by their coach yep. to talk. But also, just the demeanor uh, of the Leatherneck head coach who... You know, Western Illinois is a proud program. They're in a great conference, as we know, in the Missouri Valley. Yep. Playoff team three times in the last six years. They they were good when Coach Elliott took over. They dipped and were really, frankly, not good. Mm-hmm. And I think he was, especially with senior quarterback, great senior wide receiver, great game against Ball State, who's a, who is about as good as it gets in the MAC in the sure. FBS level. For sure. Has had and still has high expectations for this Version this 2021 season for Western Illinois. And it was demoralizing to see him sitting there. Not demoralizing to see him. He looked demoralized by the by what Montana did to him, and there were no answers for him at all. He was great to talk to and all that kind of stuff, but you you can tell a coach, you see coaches come in and go, boys. I don't know how you play in this stadium. That wasn't the attitude that he held. Nope. He thought they were going to come in and have a run yep. at this football team. And 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 they didn't have a sniff of a chance. And that was the thing that was very telling to me about how good this team is. So often, coaches come to post-game press conferences and they spin it from their own internal angle, which is expected. It's tactful. But they often talk about, all of the things we did wrong, all the things we did to beat ourselves, all the things we could have done better to mitigate the things Montana did. He didn't say any of that. He said that defense is the best defense in the country. He said that that team overwhelms you. He said we couldn't communicate. We couldn't do anything. I thought he made a really interesting point when he was breaking down why Montana's defense is so complicated and also so hard to go against, though. He said you know, he acknowledged the talent, the personnel, the pursuit, the effort, but he also said... They run more fronts than anybody you're ever going to see. They bring pressure from every angle, but they also have 11 players on the field that can set the edge at all times. So they were trying to run those like slot wide receiver reverses to try to press the edge, and they did get the ends and the outside linebackers sometimes pinned inside. Doesn't matter because Trajan Cotton, Omar Hexonu, Nash Fouch, who's ever playing those defensive back spots that aren't sort of in the center of the defense – they can set the edge, too. But he said the number one hardest part is the only way to ever even be on the same page as Montana is to communicate. Well, when they're confusing you to the point they're confusing you, and then you're also playing a night game at Washington Grizzly Stadium, it's done. You're done for. And I just thought 
They looked completely overwhelmed, and it was not because of bad execution or poor preparation. They straight up just could not handle Montana's defense physically. You know, I want to ask you about this, too, and you know more about this than I do, but one thing you assume and and to some extent this is true if you're on offense you have the ball you dictate the terms you're going to choose whether you're going to run or whether you're going to pass where you're going to go setting things up and then supposedly right the defense has to adjust like see what the alignment is and and do what they do now on things like blitz packages fronts that sort of thing a lot of that stuff goes out the window and Montana has done an unbelievable job in two weeks of being the not just the physical aggressor defensively, but the actual uh, dictator of how this is going to go in this particular spot when they don't have the football. And that's a pretty remarkable thing and something of a nuance, I think, of the sport that most people, and to, really, I mean, myself included, don't don't understand. I'm not going to say that I sit here and, and get it, but uh, I do think that it is... Uh, uh, something that is so noticeable when it comes to uh you know the 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 way that Montana goes about what they have done defensively where they're the ones who are basically telling the offense you're going to have to figure us out and adjust to this. Nuana's now 1029 ESPN Missoula SWX Montana Television. I'm Coulter Nuana's. That's Ryan Tutel. He's back in the saddle at least happy for today. Yep. So happy to have you here man. It's awesome talking <laughs> football with you. It's a great point because here, here's the details of it why can't you blitz on every down because eventually teams will find weaknesses and they'll start to pick you apart just by getting the ball out early they'll hot route it they'll throw it to the slot short they'll have these screens or jet sweeps or whatever to try to get you out of your lanes or exploit your blitzes montana's been running this hyperactive super aggressive zone blitzing scheme since Bobby Houck and defensive coordinator Kent Bear got to the University of Montana. What would happen to Montana when they would over-blitz? In 2018 and to a certain extent, especially, especially in the Montana State game, 2019, you get out of your gap, well, your blitz didn't work, and now eight guys are this way, and the running back's going that way. Yep. The, the most fundamental difference in the Grizz defense now, it's you can say broadly personnel upgrades, but it's their ability to have every single guy be able to not only shed blocks, but tackle phenomenally in the open field. You can talk about the talent, the depth, all the studs, the players, the buy-in, the want to. I would argue that this is among the best open field tackling teams I have ever seen. Mm. College football has, people think it's so complicated. It's actually been distilled to the point where the goal of a offense, no matter what kind of offense you run, is simple. Get players in space and make them miss. Make kids make mistakes. That's what it's all about. And that's why you run all your little inside zones and your all these little backside counters because you want to set up that play where then you get the guy on the edge, your wide receiver makes that corner fall on his face, boom, 60-yard touchdown. That's why big plays are so prevalent in college football. I'm not sure how you're going to get a big play against this team because they're so good tackling in the open field. And people ask, how do you do that? How do you get to this point? It's so simple, man. You practice it. If you go watch Montana practice, you watch tackling drills for hours. (laughs) It's unbelievable. (laughs) But 
that it's the it's the greatest affirmation of the argument I've always made. Football is a contact. It's a it's a combat sport. Boxers need to get hit to know how to get hit. They need to hit to learn how to hit. That's you have to take the punch. You have to throw the punch. It's the same thing with contact in football. There's always been there's been this massive notion the last ten or fifteen years in college football, less hitting, less hitting. We got to get our guys healthy. Montana had nobody sitting out of fall camp besides Matt Rensvold who hurt his knee before fall camp even started. No one was banged up. You got your nicks and bruises or whatever, but these dudes are hitting so much, so fluidly, so efficiently, nobody's hurt by it. And that's why I think you see what Montana's done so far. I think there's been one play of more than 20 yards given up by the Grizzly defense in 120 minutes. That's insane mm-hmm. in this day and age of college football. It's insane. It is, it's completely insane. I mean, they held uh, Western Illinois on the ground to 1.6 yards per attempt. 1.6 yards is is... I mean, that's quarterback sneak level games. Go check out Sky Sports. For an entire season. Go check out SkyOnSportsMT.com. I just wrote a feature about this, but my, I'll give you a tease of the stat. I just wrote a feature about the Grizz defense with some of those quotes from Coach Elliott from Western Illinois. But if you take this back to last year, or to, I guess the 2019 season, let's let's remove the anomaly. I'm not calling the, the Bobcats win over the Grizzlies in Bozeman an anomaly. It wasn't. It was an absolute butt whooping. Montana State deserves all the credit in the world, but let's take it's an outlier in the sample size. Let's take that game out, and then let's analyze the last five games the Grizz defense has played. I thought they were going to send half Weber State's team to the hospital in their home finale against. Uh, I'll never forget it doing the pregame show with you. You were like, "This could be a great game." So we back and forth. I said, "No, man, I can smell it in the air. I know, I know that this is going to be a whooping." And sure enough, it was one of the most violent uh, games that we've seen the Grizzlies play in quite some time. Well, then. You have the great defensive performance against Southeast Louisiana. You got a couple touchdowns late because you scored 73, so you're playing your threes by the stretch run. Yep. But uh, Southeast Louisiana, I, th- I believe, rushed for one yard per carry. Then you take it to the Weber State game in the playoffs. They gave up 113 yards of total offense, and they gave up one yard rushing per carry. Yeah. I think Weber rushed for 40, 43 carries for 44 yards. Mm-hmm. And then you take it into this year, 65 yards for the Washington Huskies, less than two yards of carry for Western Illinois. You break it all down, this team's giving up 60 yards rushing and 2.1 yards per carry over their last five defensive performances. That's as good as it can be. It's did, as, you, did you omit a game in there? Well, of course. I omit, omitted the Montana okay. State because okay. you add that to the sample size, and it obviously skews the statistics okay. a little bit. I just want to um, be clear. But regardless, it, they this has been building since last year, but now I think they're just operating at a fever pitch. No no question. And, and th- we – I mean – with personnel wise, Coulter, I mean, we talked about this the very first year that Coach Hack was here, and he's rolling out, you know, half half of the on defense is freshmen, like true freshmen that are out there playing. And you go, what is this going to look like? And you go, whoa, this looks pretty good. Well, that that dude's a freshman. Wait, how about that? That dude's a freshman too. Wait a minute, what is going on? How did they get this guy? And all of a sudden, we're sitting here, and with the COVID year, they're like sophomores. Maybe juniors in some cases, and right. it is and, and Alex go, Gubner's been on campus for four years now. He's a sophomore. Where does it end? And 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 right now it doesn't look like it's going to. And this defense, uh, I mean, people want to see right scoring. It's easier to like you know understand where the ball goes, big catches, all that kind of thing. I think you're going to be hard pressed to find any Montana fan right now who isn't having as much fun watching defense play football as offense as well. Nuanez now, 1029 ESPN Missoula, SWX Montana Television. I'm Coulter Nuanez. He's Ryan Tutel. How much of an impact 
did the COVID year have on Montana and Montana State in a positive fashion? We'll tell you more right here on Nuanas Now, right after this. Oh, how much of an impact did the COVID year have on Montana and Montana State in a positive fashion? We'll tell you more right here on Nuanas Now, right after this. At Blackfoot Communications, our mission is to connect people, businesses, and communities to their networks in Montana and beyond. Through Blackfoot sponsorships, local ambassadors, and public programs, we support initiatives such as the Emergency Broadband Benefit, Fiber Deployments, and Community Events. For information on our commitment to improving our communities with fast, reliable, and secure internet access, go to blackfootcommunications.com news. Nothing lasts forever. Nothing is permanent in life. But gosh dang it, it is good to have Ryan Tutel back in the studio. It's Nuanas now. One hundred two nine ESPN Missoula, SWX Montana Television. I'm Coulter Nuanas. He's Gus. We used to do this every day together. We're gonna yeah, we did. we're gonna do it more often. Yeah. How many how many uh, new people live in Missoula in those like seven months that I've been <laughs> like I don't know one point three million. Yeah. <laughs> All of them bought their houses with cash with no inspections too. Yeah. Unbelievable. Good, good for them. Unbelievable. I know. I was with one of our mutual friends today earlier, and he's like, what's been going on in your life, man? I was like, hey, I bought a house. He goes, why? He said, why would you do that? And I said, well, I had to, Jim. I, I didn't have anywhere else to live. It's, yeah. it's, we got to get it while we're getting good. Broadcast it to you live from the Northwest Motorsports Studio. <laughs> we're going to continue our conversation about Grizz football as well as Montana State football as well. Madre Williams, defensive end from the Bobcats, coming up here on Nuance now about mm, 15, 20 minutes. As we mentioned off the top, it is a bye week, so no media availability this week. There's no press conference, um, and we used a lot of the stuff from the post game, Western Illinois, already on this show. But we're going to continue this conversation through the lens of what we do every other week from here on out, the Hauk highlights. This is going to be a one-on-one with Bobby Hauk. I'm going to catch him before either Tuesday or Wednesday's practice. Always love catching up with Coach Hauk. It's funny because he has sort of this reputation of being surly with the media, but you know, if you go with prepared questions and you ask them concisely, and you don't waste his time, because that's the thing he will not tolerate is his time being wasted. It's great. How Highlights is presented by Ryan Holloway and Miller. Paul Ryan is a name that's been synonymous with law around the Garden City for decades, and Paul's decided to announce the expansion of his firm to Ryan Holloway and Miller. Paul Ryan, Nate Holloway, and Angie Miller have a fierce love for their community, and they want to help you with any of your legal needs. Ryan Holloway and Miller will be available to take your call anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, no matter what your legal needs in Western Montana and around in the Treasure State, when it comes to personal injury or criminal defense, call Ryan Holloway and Miller today. Ryan Holloway and Miller, your Montana attorneys. It does help if you have prepared questions for Coach Hauk. It also helps if his defense hasn't allowed a point in 150 minutes. <laughs> that's exactly right. You know, that helps. That's exactly right. And that, I mean, that's it's a very under, uh, understated part of 2018. Bobby Hauk was... Um, not very happy at press conferences in 2018 because he lost five games in 2018. Coach Houck had lost 17 games in seven seasons at Montana preceding 2018. Right. He wasn't used – I mean, it was fully a unique situation to give up 35 fourth-quarter points to UC Davis. He's never lost to UC Davis ever, yeah. let alone in that fashion. So, yeah. okay, we're all human. I'd be pretty mad if I was him too. Yeah, no doubt. Regardless, let's talk about what I think is – um. One of the silver linings of what's happened the last, let's call it 20 to 22 months. 
all of this stuff has been exhausting. It's been mentally, physically exhausting. I think all of us are are uh, ready for brighter days, better days. But from a college football perspective, it was brutal for these guys considering all the different hoops that college athletes, particularly college basketball players, but college athletes as a whole had to jump through. These guys are getting tested way more than everybody else. They are getting their schedules reorganized all the time. I mean, all the, the different elements of a pandemic is not good when you have an organization that has 110 young men in it that have to be together all the time because they couldn't be together all the time. That part all sucked. But having 20 or 22 months of time to instill the culture of your program, the mentality that it takes to get buy-in, indoctrination's too strong of a word, but to, to fully make sure that your team is holistic in its sense of belief in themselves and each other, combined with the physical gains that these guys made. I mean, the first time I walked out to practice, I was like, who is that guy? Oh, Jacob McGoring put on 40 pounds. That's the last time mm-hmm. I saw him. Who's that guy? I mean, they have a couple of these classy walk-on kids that went from tight end to offensive tackle because it's been two years, so they put on 70 pounds. Yeah. So the physical strength gains plus the ability to be able to train without getting hurt, I think that Montana and Montana State particularly, because of the priority that they put on that element of football, also because of how much Bobby Houck just loves the training element of the sport, I think these guys are in better physical condition and stronger and probably, in turn, less injury-prone than maybe any Grizz team we have ever seen. And so that is the silver lining. I think that you do have, like Alex Gubner would be a senior now. I guess he'd be a, a junior, a redshirt junior now, but rather he's got an extra year of eligibility. But that's across the board, right? There's so many dudes who are yeah. the age of somebody that's a lot older than them, but they're competing in this specific grade. Yeah, it is, it is interesting, too, particularly in Montana's case, where you have... I guess you could call it a, a two-year foundation-laying process where the the change of direction and improvement was very, very clear over the first two years that, that Coach Houck was there. And he basically, I think, got in all, all the guys uh, that he was hoping to get in in terms of you know the, those recruiting classes and so on. Uh, and by the way, there was another recruiting class that came through with no games to be played, which will play itself out over the next several years. Well, this is but, the most confusing part, right? You have redshirt freshmen who redshirted in 2019 and then haven't played since then. You had guys that that might have redshirted in 2020, but now they're in this like true freshman, but they've been on campus for two years mold. Yeah. Then you got the guys that actually are new to the program for the last several months. Yeah. So you have just a million freshmen running wow. around, but they're all, they're like uh, they're sometimes three to four years apart. Like Cole Grossman had a gray shirt in there as well, so this is his fourth year on campus. He's a redshirt freshman tight end. So the thing though for the Grizzlies that I, I find um, interesting and maybe particularly beneficial uh, because this is all true, uh, you know, for for all programs across college sports, but. But 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 it, it is true. But but don't you think that not playing at all was actually an advantage? Yes, and and here. But here's why. I mean, everything you said about training and strength training and getting bigger and doing all that is all is all true. But I also think, uh, particularly for a, a Hauk led team, it's not like well we're not playing this year, guys. Make good decisions. We'll see you in twelve months. 
You know, you can be with your team as much as you can be with them per NCAA regulations and all of that. But there's no question that there were uh, parameters put on things and expectations that were laid for, I mean, for the entire run where there wasn't football. And those, I have no doubt, the expectations of what they wanted guys to do, how they wanted them to be, what they wanted them to be up to, uh, were not easy. And if you're not playing football... Only the committed remain. Like you talked about no buy-in to this team. Well, the reason there's buy-in to this team, because there wouldn't be anybody left that wasn't bought in at you, this point to a program 100%. like this. I, I talked to multiple of my buddies who played for Bobby Houck the first go-round, and I just give them kind of the, the joking hypothetical. Can you imagine doing three spring balls and two fall camps and then another fall camp that went into no season because then it got called off and then having a basically hyperactive spring ball into just two games? I basically said... Imagine three spring balls and three fall camps for the result of two games in two years. They're all like, no. These are guys that played, you know, started multiple games and won won championships and all of that. So I think that within the scope of that, what you then have is every guy that you want, whether they came in those guys or, you know, developed into those types of players and those mentalities to have that. But once you get that, over the course of a year of not playing football, now when you are playing, it's just evident. It's just evident. The other thing, though, and I would like to hear your take on this, because okay. it is Houck's highlights here. Indeed. I've presented seen, by Ryan Holloway and Miller. I've seen something from Bobby Houck in two consecutive games I have never seen. Now, maybe I wasn't observing this before. Okay, so this, this might be me. You tell me if I'm missing it. Going in to the fourth quarter, of the game at Washington. Now, this whole, you know, four finger, you know, hold up four fingers going to the fourth. It was, you know, fun when it started. And now, I, you know, not my deal. But the whole team comes in, closes in on Coach Houck. He's in the middle of the circle, and they're all jumping around like crazies. You know what I mean? Led by a person who you would think that might not be in his personality to be the guy who's the hype machine here heading into a fourth quarter when it's all about business and toughness and all of that kind of stuff. And I thought, whoa, what's going on here? Is this like a special, like, because we're in Seattle, we're going to do? And then going into the fourth quarter of a game that's already a blowout, we're closing in, and who's in the middle? Bobby Houck to do this thing. Now, I don't know if he has done this before, and I just hadn't noticed, but it was uh, stark to me to see him being the guy leading the cheering and not just the the general that we often, you know, ascribe to him. He certainly is that, but I think that there is um it's not a softer side, but I think there is an understanding of the way that he also can incorporate encouragement and bring you know, and 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 fun and being a guy who's like, "Hey, we can, you know, we should get out here and be excited about being out here, not just you know, out here to do the job and to be, you know, angry, tough, whatever the whatever you want to say as a football team. You know what I mean? And I thought that was really noticeable. And I wonder how much that is real day in and day out, you know, because I, I think that what you're seeing is just a a moment that's uh, representative of a bigger reality. How has Bobby Houck changed? Plus, I'm Andre Williams, Montana State defensive end here on Nuanas Now. Back after this.
Sportsbet Montana is powered by the Montana Lottery. Join in on the excitement for Sportsbet Montana by betting on your favorite sports and teams, both collegially and professionally. There are multiple ways to bet, including in-game, which gets you into the action live as the game unfolds, and parlay betting, where you could have a chance to win big. Sportsbet Montana, a secure and interactive way to win while watching your favorite sports. Bets can be placed securely on the mobile app while at an authorized Sportsbet Montana location or by using the Sportsbet Montana kiosk located at approved vendors. Montana bettors have wagered more than $28 million since Sportsbet Montana launched almost a year ago. And in that time, bettors have won more than $25 million. Sportsbet Montana's retail partners have more than $1.7 million in commission. Head on down to your authorized Sportsbet Montana locations and get in on the fun today. ESPN Radio. We're going to continue our conversation about both Grizz and Bobcat football. I'm Andre Williams, senior defensive end for the Grizz, uh, for the Bobcats. Excuse me. Get join me, join us here in just a couple minutes. Uh, but first, I know you're probably hungry, probably gearing up for the weekend. Mm. If you have not had yourself a Wapa sandwich, you need to go. Warden's Market is the spot. They have some of the best sandwiches in Missoula. They also have the best craft beer selection in Missoula. And starting now, today. We're back at it. One of our favorite giveaways. We got a six pack and a Sammy from Warden's Market. Give us a call right now, 888 1029. That's 406 888 1029. 888 1029. Caller number two is going to get a six pack and a Sammy. All you got to do is call. Give your name to Andrew. He calls Warden's. Your name's on a list. You go get yourself a six pack and a sandwich from Warden's Market. Love it. Sounds pretty good, huh? It does. Don't you wish? That's the worst part about this is you you set up these giveaways and then you're like, Man, I would be the guy that would win this because I would call every time. I wouldn't even win. I would just immediately turn to Higgins <laughs> and walk in and be like, what does it cost because this is what I need, and that's how I feel at this very moment. That's right exactly now. right. Yeah. We were talking about the uh, differences uh, for Bobby Houck mm-hmm. just in, in sort of the way he's operating. And I, I find this uh, one of the most fascinating parts of this current iteration of the Grizzlies. I covered Coach Huck for the majority of his first tenure here at Montana, 2003 to 2009. I knew I had a lot of really good friends that played for him. My brother played for him for a year. And uh, Coach had a very distinct tactic the first time around. He made himself into the common enemy of his own players. That might be a little bit of an exaggeration, but the motivation was to prove Coach Houck wrong. He, He was always, you know, here's where you're at, but you're not where I need you to be. He was always trying to drive guys to be better, but they were always trying to prove him wrong. And he was very surly in his way of communicating with the guys. He used to always say, you don't need parents, you don't need friends, or you got parents, you got friends. I'm not going to be either of those. I'm your coach. He used to always say that. That's thing, something I've seen change with Coach out quite a bit. Because I think, first of all, would you agree as a father, becoming a father probably changes your perspective on the world more than almost any other life experience that you can have. Yeah, I'm way angrier now. <laughs> <laughs> but I also think Coach Houck, is, as, he's a lot older than he was first time around, mm. but he also has a son on the team. Of course. But you, but you see the way that these guys interact with him. These guys fully respect him, want to play for him, want to live up to his expectations, but they also love him. That's a huge difference. I, I think I think there's something to be said for that. And, you you know, I'm, I haven't been around, uh, so I can't sit here and say firsthand that's true. But one other thing that I think I thought when Coach Houck got hired and we saw the staff that got put together, that it was going to be real interesting, man. People have no idea the drama that exists 
on coaching staffs of football oh. teams just <laughs> nationwide broadly. I mean, it's if you think reality TV, there could oh. be reality TV shows about college co- football coaching staffs. There's no question. Oh. I mean, it, it's just it's just wild. And so now the the first time that he was here, I certainly couldn't quote you chapter and verse, you know, who was on the staff and all that kind sure. of stuff. But I don't think there's any question that this is me and this is what we're going to do, fall in line or see you. That's it. Yes. And that's, first of all, he's the head coach now, and it is his show. And he does have the final say, no question about it. I don't think anybody argues that. He's also got an incredibly veteran staff who he even said this past uh, after the game Saturday, they don't have to be here. They're here because they want to be here. And exactly. And them being there here because they want to be here also means they want to be with Bobby Houck. And so you have to be the type of person who people want to be with if you're going to engender that sort of relationship with the coaches that you've brought in, who, by the way, are off the charts for this level of football. I mean, the, the staff that the Grizzlies have is it's 20 out of 10 for, for FCS, what these guys are and where they've been. And I think he knows that. Certainly he knows that. And he has, I don't, I don't want to say accommodate, but has made it so that they can do what they do and enjoy doing what they yeah. do. And maybe that has you know been part of this progression too. After the Washington game, Leading up to the Western Illinois game. I was down at practice catching Coach Houck. And uh, while I was waiting for him, Kent Bear walked by, defensive coordinator. And he and I got to know each other a little bit. So I said, hey, Coach, good good job on the win. Where's that one ranked for you? Because Kent Bear has coached college football since 1978. Hmm. He said, when we were at Notre Dame, we went and knocked out number one Florida State, Doak Walker Stadium. Uh, when I was at, uh, I, I, I believe, Arizona State, they went in and beat Clemson. He's won a couple Rose Bowls. He said, it wasn't close. It was the... Uh, that was the greatest win of my coaching career, us beating Washington. Mm-hmm. That's all to say, though, this guy is referencing Rose Bowls and <laughs> coaching at Doak Walker Stadium, being the number one ranked Florida State Seminoles right. and going to Clemson and winning. Like, what? I mean, Brett Pease is the offensive coordinator at Florida. He's the wide receivers coach at Montana. Their staff is unbelievably stacked. Hey guys, Ryan Tutel here for SkylineSportsMT.com. You know, when we brought Coulter on a year ago, it was a huge boost to ESPN Radio because no one knows more about the Grizz and Cats than he does. But Coulter is a journalist first and started Skyline Sports to cover the Big Sky explicitly full-time with no corporate interference. Just the sports teams and people you care about unfiltered. I'm in the sports media, I understand the landscape, and I can tell you, there is simply no better sports journalism done in the state of Montana than that of Skyline Sports. Improve your habits. Go to SkylineSportsMT.com. A little Big Sky Breakdown action. Big Sky Breakdown podcast is hosted on SkylineSportsMT.com, but you can also find content from that podcast here, as well as uh, a lot of analysis that is original to this show as well. Let's talk in-state recruiting. The Grizzlies, with Bobby Houck at the helm, struck first. And they got commitments from Caden Hewitt, widely considered the best quarterback prospect in the state. Tyson Rostad, one of the best. Uh, Ken Hewitt from Helen High, by the way. Tyson Rostad from Hamilton, one of the best athlete prospects in the state. Zach Cruz, uh, in my opinion, one of the two or three best guys in the state, period. I don't know what position he's going to play in college, but I do think he could play multiple positions at the collegiate level. They also got a commitment from Patrick Rohrbach, the kicker from Glacier, and Marcus Evans, the son of Scott Evans, Helen High's head coach, uh, who's a linebacker. And those five commitments were five of among the first six commitments by in-state players. Burke Mastel from Red Lodge was the other one. He committed to the Cats early on in the summer. But for a moment, 
it just seemed like Montana was just kicking Montana State's butt in the in-state recruiting battle. That's always the case when you get uh, sort of a windfall of guys like that. A lot of times, too, when you get that quarterback guy, then he becomes a recruiter. He's sending texts or DMs on Twitter or whatever the kids do now. But Montana State answered in a big way uh, over the weekend. They had a couple guys on campus, and they got commitments from Ethan Abbott, who's a two-way lineman out of Florence Carlton High School, six foot four, 275 pounds, really good player. I've watched him play live twice uh, last year when he was a junior, really talented. And then probably the big-time ones, Taco and Caden Dowler. Taco Dowler definitely considered one of the top two or three recruits uh, in the state of Montana. So not necessarily even maybe an analysis of these specific guys, Andrew, but what do you think of just sort of the back and forth that occurs in the in-state recruiting battle? And, uh, I mean, is it relevant? Is it significant? Or is it just sort of uh, the ebbs and flows of, of college football? I think it's great for one thing just to see all these kids go in and plan for the local colleges, and that's not a thing that happens in a lot of states. But, I mean, Montana, the top recruits are going to be going to Montana or Montana State most of the time. I don't, I'm don't. i not sure that it means much of anything. Um, you know, these kids are going to pick for, for one reason or the other. Montana's going to get... Montana's never going to be shut out. Montana State's never going to be shut out of the top in-state recruits, right? Right. So you're going to get... Some of these kids on campus, I mean, every every top kid in the state's going to have a Montana offer, going to have a Montana State offer. You're going to get some of them. You're not going to get some of them. It just plays into the development when you get to school, right? I think that's the more important thing. It also, sometimes you got to read between the lines because the in-state recruiting battle, it is impactful. But so often... Guys are already aligned one way or the other. Like, for example, Marcus Evans, his older brother, already plays for the Grizzlies. That's going to be really hard for the Bobcats to go recruit Marcus Evans. On the flip side, Montana State offered scholarships to both Taco and Caden Dowler, where Montana did not offer Caden Dowler a scholarship. Well, as twin brothers... It's one it's one way or the other, right? You're either going to go exactly where your twin's going no matter what. You're either a package deal or you're you're dead set on not being a package deal. But either way, uh, it's going to be hard to swing. If you are a package deal, it's going to be hard to swing, you know, one of the twins. So, you know, when you're talking about, you know, Zach Cruz growing up in Missoula, playing right. for a former Grizz and Dane Oliver. I know he thought about the Cats for a minute, but when the Grizz come down the pipe, I mean, hard for him to really be swayed. So what I'm saying, though, is like a lot of times – there's only a few guys that are actually like battleground recruits in the state of Montana. A lot of times they have predisposed allegiances or family ties or, you know, everything in between. Right. Which is, I mean, those guys who don't have that, maybe they take on increased importance. It's just interesting to watch because you know that the fan base has put so much importance on this, right? I mean, it's something that, they can look at in the summer when there are no games to be played. I mean, we're still two and a half months out from from Cat Grizz. This is what they have to go at each other with, right? Right now, just just the recruiting. Well, the other fascinating part too is that so much is made of the in-state recruiting battle. Who is winning while it's happening? Who is winning when the signing day rolls around? But what we know, this is the most tried and true notion in all of college uh, of all of college sports in Montana the way that guys develop is going to be the key to their success. Right. It's why 
so often the guys are the best players in high school at all levels of football are not necessarily going to be the best players in college. If it was all linear, every NFL player would have been a five-star recruit in, in high school. That's not true. Half of them weren't even two-star recruits because of the way you accelerate between 18 and 23 and then the way you put in the work to continue to get better. So I guess what I'm saying is I think that's why the the formula Bobby Houck has in place right now where he's trying to recruit guys that I've just wanted to be Grizzlies their whole lives. And no matter what they are at that moment, if they're good enough to be a you know at least a fringe Division One player, he'll turn them into a great Division One player, or at least find a role for them on the team. Jeff Choate was really good at that too, and I, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see if Brent Vegan has a similar sort of development model at Montana State. Well, and that's such the important part too is finding the right role for these guys, especially guys like Zach Cruz or Tyson Rostad. You know, we talked so much about this. These guys aren't going to stay at quarterback in college, but like, where is Zach Cruz going to be best? Defensive end. Outside linebacker, tight end, he can play a lot of those positions. You have to not only move him to the right position, but get him in the right role to succeed when he gets to campus. And that's huge, too, just outside of the development, the weight room stuff. Andrew Houghton, ESPN Missoula, as well as SkylineSportsMT.com, joining us here on Nuanas Now. All right, let's talk a little football. Let's talk about what has been occurring the last couple weeks. It was uh, pandemonium last week in Missoula because the uh, the hype after Montana's Thirteen to seven victory over Washington was, it was out of control, man. It was it was through the roof, and I mean a great victory, great great win. Just the sixth win by a ranked uh, or by an FCS team over a ranked FBS opponent, excuse me. But then Montana doubled down. They allowed no offensive points to Western Illinois. They uh, rolled up six sacks, eleven tackles for loss, only allowed one hundred fifty one yards of total offense against the Leathernecks, and uh, on the way to. Bobby Houck posting his 100th victory as the head coach at the University of Montana. So uh, your second, you actually have seen the Grizz now twice yep. in person. I only got to see him once this last weekend. But uh, their defense is staggering watching them in person. I mean, they are they are as advertised and maybe even better, especially playing at home. I could not believe the way that they fly the ball. They run their butts off. and It is, it is a thing of beauty, man. I, and this is not a fan allegiance or anything. If you're a football purist, the the heart and passion and fortitude that the Montana defense is playing with right now is uh, pretty, pretty, pretty impressive. What was crazy to watch is that Western Illinois, not a bad team. Western Illinois knows what they want to do on offense. They've got a decent quarterback. They've got good wide receivers. They came in with confidence, and Montana just sort of squeezed the life out of them. By the, by the second quarter, and especially in the third quarter, there was nothing they could do. I mean, they had a couple completions to to Dennis Houston, their wide receiver, their sure. their star early, and then that just got taken away, and there was nothing they could do. The um, this is the other thing about Montana that's so uh, fascinating. The Grizz faithful win engaged, no football really well. And I know sometimes they're completely out of control and they're irrational opinions of the team and things like that, but they do know football and they can recognize not just the quarterbacks and receivers as guys that they're falling in love with. And you could tell on Saturday night at Washington Grizzly Stadium that the Grizz faithful are falling in love with this trio of linebackers. And, it, I mean, it's how could you not, right? How can you not, yeah. But also, I mean, they, they, it's just like it, it's almost out of a storybook, right? I mean, you got – what probably one scholarship between the three of them when they first came to campus. Right. We talked about Mar- Marcus Wellnell, Jace Lewis, and, and Patrick O'Connell, and now it's like, 
I mean, you got two of them are already won Defensive Player of the Week, and neither one of them are the guy that was actually supposed to be maybe the Defensive Player of the Year in the Big Sky Conference. So uh, pretty impressive so far for the Montana linebacker trio. They are leading the way uh, for the Montana defense. And they fit in just so well with the atmosphere there. I mean, they're expressive. They feed off the crowd. They give it up to the crowd. Crowd gives it back to them. It's just the, the perfect fit. They're fun to watch, fun to talk to, all of that stuff. So uh, it's been fun sort of uh, perpetuating that narrative as well around here at Nuanas. Now, you're listening to ESPN Radio as well as SWX Montana Television. I'm Coulter Nuanas, broadcasting to you live from the Northwest Motorsport Studio. Northwest Motorsport, located at the corner of Stevens and Mount here in Missoula. You can also find them online, nwmsrocks.com. That's nwmsrocks.com. Andrew, a, a little bit hard to get a gauge on the Bobcats. I was there live and in person in Laramie, so I got a one full dose of in-person with MSU. But uh, last week, the kicks were at the exact same time. So we were monitoring the Bobcat game in the press box a little bit. But, you know, you want to engage in the game you're at, the game you're covering. So I didn't get to watch as much of it. So I have watched uh, some playback so far, some highlights and all that. But my brother Brooks was at the game uh, on Saturday, and he gave some good insight. But the Bobcats, fast physical, everything on defense. But uh, I know you haven't got a chance to watch them quite as much because you've been covering games both of the last two Saturdays. But uh, maybe not even your perspective on MSU, but what, what are your thoughts on the Cats or what are your questions right now about the Cats? Um, what what are you going to be looking at now when they are the lone game in the state of Montana this weekend uh, hosting San Diego, uh, last tune-up before Big Sky Conference play? What are your thoughts just on MSU right now? Well, I think it's funny how closely they've tracked Montana so far, right? I mean, they're a minute against Wyoming from being in the same place as Montana, basically, with the FBS win, not that beating Wyoming is on the same caliber as beating Washington. Sure. But the FBS win and then coming back home the next week and handling business against, you know, a team that you're supposed to beat at home. And, I mean, they won 45-7 against Drake last weekend. Montana won 42-7. I mean, they're, they're in the same place. So my question, I guess, going into Big Sky Conference play would be, Is their defense on the same level as the Grizz? I mean, is there Man. where do where where do those two teams stack up against each other? Wow. So here's my basic thought on this. Actually, I think that the Cats have several of the most exceptional individual talents defensively. I think that Chase Benson would be the, the starting interior, the best starting interior defensive lineman if he played for either squad. I think Troy Anderson is the most talented linebacker for either squad, but I don't necessarily know if that means he's the best, especially because of the spot he's playing. Right. Pretty hard to say Patrick O'Connell's not the best in terms of the spot he's playing because O'Connell's kind of playing that. They used to call it the Reb. It's like the Buck stand-up outside guy in this Grizz defense. But, I mean, he's got like four and a half sacks and six and a half tackles for a loss in two games already. So hard to say he's not playing the best. But in terms of individual talent, I think – Chase Benson's an all-league, all-American caliber guy. Amandre Williams, all-league, all-American caliber guy. Daniel Hardy has the potential to be an all-league guy. Troy Anderson, certainly an all-American caliber guy. Jeffrey Manning, uh, Trey Webb, Ty Okada, all three of those guys are all big sky, talented level uh, defensive backs. And then Callahan O'Reilly, the other inside linebacker, is also a potential all-big sky guy. So I think that Montana State has the headlining talent. I'm just wondering where they're going to go, what happens depth-wise, because I do think they're thin at corner. I also do think that you know if any of those premier guys get hurt, the next guy has a significant downgrade. That's where the Grizzlies are at right now, though. You know, let's say one of those linebackers we just talked about gets hurt. Well, you can just roll in Braxton Hill, who's not right. a downgrade whatsoever. He's he's ready to roll. Let's say one of the safeties guys gets hurt. Well, 
You got Oregon State transfer as the sort of utility guy in Trajan Cotton. One of the corners gets hurt. Well, you got two dudes who could probably start anywhere in the Big Sky Conference. So I think that the thing that the Montana's got an advantage over the Cats right now is the fact that they just have way more proven depth defensively. But uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, the way that Montana State continues to evolve. I, I don't think they're going to get a true test until they go on the road October 15th at Weber State. So stay tuned for that. But I think this Cat team has a chance to really get rolling as they head down to Weber uh, with some winnable games in front of them. Uh, but all that said, I think that both these teams, two of, if not the two best defenses, not just in the Big Sky Cavs, but in the in the country. I think that they are among the elite defenses. Here's the Big Sky scoreboard from a week ago, other than Montana, Montana State posting almost identical final scores in their home openers. South Dakota ripped Northern Arizona. That was a surprising result to me, 34-7. to South Dakota takes down NAU. Non-surprising, Eastern Washington drilled Central Washington, 63-14. to UC Davis, uh, just laid it on San Diego, 53-7. to Dan Hawkins has said this is his best UC Davis team. I talked to Dale Lindsay earlier this week, San Diego head coach. He also thinks that it's Hawks' best team. So an impressive endorsement by the longtime San Diego head coach. Poland State fought hard, but they lost 44-24 to to Washington State. Northern Colorado, big win, 45-13 over Houston Baptist. Indiana drilled Idaho 56-14. Northern Iowa takes down Sac State 34-16. Fresno State all over Cal Poly, 63-10. Weber State destroys Dixie State, 41-3. Uh, and then Nevada uh, takes down Idaho State. I, I must have missed the uh, the final scores. 49 to 49. I had just have four, so I knew it was 40-something. So 49-10, to 10, yep. Nevada takes down Idaho State. So we don't have to talk about all of these. I think that the uh, you know, the losses to the Power Fives are, are to be sort of expected. Not that surprised that Weber drilled Dixie State. But I do think that the probably the surprising results that jump out to you are South Dakota drilling Northern Arizona, Northern Iowa whooping on Sac State, uh, and those two are probably the, the two biggest storylines outside the state of Montana, the Big Sky Conference this week. Are you surprised by either of those? Not really, no, because Northern Iowa is very good. Um, and, you know, there was always the option that Northern Arizona was just not going to be very good this year. I think, you know, that one is surprising because – you would expect them at least to be able to compete with South Dakota. Sure. But that's a team with a lot of issues, and we knew that before the season. And that's sort of, you know, we're starting to see the stratification of sort of these middle teams in the conference where now it looks like NAU is going to be not great. And the other one that sort of surprised me, Northern Colorado, sure, might be okay. I mean, Houston Baptist, not, not a good team, but they hung a lot of points on them. Yeah. I mean, they do have a five-star quarterback, so I expect them to be able to score at least against someone, right? Right, but the, they were still picked last or second sure. last in the conference down there with Southern Utah. I mean, it's a good, it's a good data point that they were able to score forty five points or whatever. Yeah, I mean, Northern Colorado and Cal Poly already have one win each, which is about exactly the win total I think everybody had predicted for those two squads individually this year. So, you know, maybe exceeding expectations, even if uh, just by the slightest amount. Yeah, and I don't think that the the Northern Iowa loss is all that bad for Sac State. Uh, that's a really tough team to play. I mean, I think they're a solid top 10 team in the country. So there's room for Sac State to be, you know, worse than that and still be a pretty good Big Sky team. He's Andrew Houghton, ESPN Missoula, SkylineSportsMT.com. Thanks for swinging by, man. We'll, uh, we'll catch up with you soon. Awesome. Good talking with you. At Blackfoot Communications, our mission is to connect people, businesses, and communities to their networks in Montana and beyond. 
Through Blackfoot sponsorships, local ambassadors, and public programs, we support initiatives such as the Emergency Broadband Benefit, fiber deployments, and community events. For information on our commitment to improving our communities with fast, reliable, and secure internet access, go to blackfootcommunications.com slash news. Happy now to welcome back for the second edition of Inside the Big Sky, Mary Lou's Cook. She's the director of broadcast and digital media for the Big Sky Conference, doing a great job producing all sorts of multimedia content on behalf of the league. And Mary Lou's, it's the full swing of football. We haven't talked to you in a couple of weeks. I know we were talking all the things we were about to be excited about when it comes to football season, but now it's here. You've got a chance to take in some games across the league. Your thoughts just early on on the Big Sky Conference and then just what you think, how much fun has it been? Yeah, uh, I mean, and so much fun. And as you said, it has been a few weeks. So definitely exciting to actually talk about things that are here and now. Um, just, I mean, so many good storylines throughout the league. We're seeing throughout the Big Sky Conference. This is something that we've always known. But especially now looking at the FCS Top 15 and seeing five Big Sky teams ranked, um, that's not something that we've ever seen before. And so definitely a lot of depth, a lot of fun play, getting into conference play after this weekend. And so lots to look forward to and lots to celebrate this. What have been your favorite things that you've seen so far or just the things that have stood out to you the most uh, as, as Big Sky football is now, like you say, uh, about a week away from opening conference play? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I have to say one of the coolest things that, you know, we knew it was coming at some point, but Bobby Houck uh, collecting his 100th career win there at Montana. You know, I hosted the Big Sky football kickoff in Spokane, Washington, and one of the things that I had asked Coach Houck about was what it was going to take to get that 100th victory at their first home game uh, there in Missoula. And, uh, you know, he was like, that Washington win, we're going to have to come away with that, and that's going to be a difficult victory. Uh, we saw that. Totally historical. I think, I mean, that, that has got to be uh, one of the coolest things that we've seen in far and then to see him collect that 100th career win uh, was also really um, and for the program as they head into their bye week so that's something that I, I have to say that's probably been my favorite storyline so far the strength of the league has been on full display during this non-conference as well. Probably, I would argue, maybe the best opening weekend in the history of the league when you talk about three wins over FBS opponents. Eastern Washington takes down UNLV in overtime. Uh, UC Davis goes into Tulsa and knocks off a team that went undefeated during the regular season during the fall uh, in the AAC. And then, of course, Montana's win over Washington as well. Uh, so I know you've been waiting a long time to watch and cover Big Sky football, Mary Lou's. This had to be among the best opening weekends. What do you just think of the prowess of the league and the fact that they were able to go toe-to-toe with so many FBSs these first couple weeks it's impressive you know as you said three SBS in the league that was amazing to see we'll have more chances for SBS victories all against Pac-12 this weekend uh, of opponents so it'll be interesting to see what we continue to do and um, I think it was just a really cool thing to have so many eyes on our conference and on the SBS as a whole it was incredibly dominant, and as you said, I've been waiting a long time to cover uh, Big Sky football in the fall. It has definitely been uh, fantastic. <laughs> we know there's a lot of depth in this conference. Um, and that opening weekend disappointed. And, well, I mean, it was just incredible, exceeded everyone's expectations to continuing to speak throughout the rest of the season. 
Mary Lou's Cook joining us. She's the director of broadcast and digital media at the Big Sky Conference. It's our Inside the Big Sky segment. We take a look around the league, some of the best storylines, some of the best individual performances as well. So let's talk about uh, Hunter Rodriguez from UC Davis. He's a guy that's won Big Sky Conference Player of the Week two uh, times already this season. Big time question marks for UC Davis coming into this year because Jake Mayer, their former outstanding record-setting quarterback, he's up in the Canadian Football League playing for, speaking of the Montana Grizzlies, former Grizz quarterback Dave Dickinson, who's the head coach for the Calgary Stampeders. Uh, but Hunter Rodriguez has put all... Uh, uh, doubters to rest because he's been lights out so far for UC Davis. So I know uh, oftentimes you get across paths or at least talk to some of these guys. So have you got a chance to catch up with Hunter Rodriguez in either way? Do you, what do you think of his uh, opening of the season as UC Davis's quarterback? Yeah, I sure have. You know, Hunter Rodriguez is really interesting. You know, I think when we look at the league as a whole, right, we look at quarterbacks and Eric Berrier was really the one that everyone had their eye on. And so he actually uh, got to share the Big Sky Offensive Player of the Week honor with him. Um, And then this week, uh, he came away and got that honor outright. And so I did get a chance to speak with him about a number of things, just about winning the award uh, back-to-back, what that meant to him, the significance. And um, now that they're getting to to head home and play Dixie State there, what that's going to be like for him. And he's just, you can tell when you speak to him, there's just so much maturity there. And something else that I think is kind of funny uh, so it was recently a uh, national school picture day. And so the big sky had posted a picture of him and his mustache. So if you haven't taken a look at his mustache, you know, uh, it's pretty impressive. And so uh, when I interviewed him, you know, we chatted a lot about football and, uh, and we also chatted about his mustache when I told uh, the big sky uh, staff that I was going to be interviewing him later that day, commissioner Tom Wistersell said to me, you know, he has an incredible mustache. You need to ask him about that. So we chatted about that in his player of the week interview, but um, he has just been extremely impressive. Um, And so, you know, all eyes really have been on him. Um, He really has just been, um, I mean, just incredibly impressive. I know uh, in that, that game that they had against San Diego, he posted career highs for passing yards and touchdowns. And so, he has been incredibly impressive, and I look forward to continuing to watch him and seeing what he's going to do against Dixie State this weekend at home. Mary Lou's Cook joining us here. It's Inside the Big Sky. We do this uh, weekly here on Nuana's Now, 1029 ESPN Radio, as well as statewide television, SWX Montana Television. And Mary Lou's, I know you, you put together this week in Big Sky football each week, uh, making the rounds around the week, giving some analysis, but also doing some interviews with various people throughout the league. So tell us about this week's Big Sky, uh, this week in Big Sky football, as well as uh, maybe something you learned or, or maybe some insight you have um, from your interviews that you did uh, throughout this last week. Yeah, Coulter, so actually we have rebranded this week in Big Sky Football, and we're now doing something called Around the Big Sky, um, where we're actually hitting on all the different sports throughout the conference. But what I can tell you in terms of interview is interviews is that I'm still continuing with Big Sky Player of the Week interviews, where um, I'm highlighting at least one football player every single week. And then in addition to that, we also have SCS All In that the Big Sky has taken the lead on producing, where you can get insight on all the SCS conferences throughout the league. It airs on uh, the SCS All In YouTube channel every uh, Saturday at 8 a.m. Mountain Time. And so uh, the interview that I did this week again was with Hunter Rodriguez and so talking with him just about the success that he's had so far and then his expectations going into into this weekend. And so those have definitely been a lot of fun and 
uh, getting to just take a look at the, the schedules that we have coming up and analyzing those, looking at the things that are really sticking out. Like I can tell you that probably the biggest game that we'll even see in, in all of the FCS throughout the entire season is James Madison at number eight, Weber State. So that's something that I'll be breaking down a bit in our uh, upcoming FCS All-In uh, episode going out on Saturday. Most excellent. You're doing a great job. Continuing the great work. Keep it up. Amir Luz Cook joining us here on Nuana is now from the Big Sky Conference. It's our Inside the Big Sky segment. You can check out all of her work at BigSkyConf.com and you can also find her on Twitter as well. Mary Luz, thanks so much for joining us this week and uh, best of luck with everything this weekend and we'll talk to you next week. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Coulter. Always a pleasure. Sportsbet Montana is powered by the Montana Lottery. Join in on the excitement for Sportsbet Montana by betting on your favorite sports and teams, both collegially and professionally. There are multiple ways to bet, including in-game, which gets you into the action live as the game unfolds, and parlay betting, where you could have a chance to win big. Sportsbet Montana is a secure and interactive way to win while watching your favorite sports. Bets can be placed securely on the mobile app while at an authorized Sportsbet Montana location or by using the Sportsbet Montana kiosk located at approved vendors. Montana bettors have wagered more than $28 million since Sportsbet Montana launched almost a year ago. And in that time, bettors have won more than $25 million. Sportsbet Montana's retail partners have more than $1.7 million in commission. Head on down to your authorized Sportsbet Montana locations and get in on the fun today. Sportsbet Montana is powered by the Montana Lottery. Join in on the excitement for Sportsbet Montana by betting on your favorite sports and teams, both collegially and professionally. There are multiple ways to bet, including in-game, which gets you into the action live as the game unfolds, and parlay betting, where you could have a chance to win big. Sportsbet Montana is a secure and interactive way to win while watching your favorite sports. Bets can be placed securely on the mobile app while at an authorized Sportsbet Montana location or by using the Sportsbet Montana kiosk located at approved vendors. Montana bettors have wagered more than $28 million since Sportsbet Montana launched almost a year ago. And in that time, bettors have won more than $25 million. Sportsbet Montana's retail partners have more than $1.7 million in commission. Head on down to your authorized Sportsbet Montana locations and get in on the fun today. The in-state recruiting battle kept ripping in the Treasure State as the Bobcats landed a trio of talented Montanans over the weekend, and high school football had another unpredictable Friday. Hello, I am Coulter Nuanez. Five of the first six in-state recruits to commit for the class of 2021 pledged to Bobby Houck's Montana Grizzlies. But over the weekend, Montana State swung back, landing three highly regarded prospects. First, Florence standout two-way lineman Ethan Abbott, who currently leads the top-ranked team in Class B and will play defensive line at MSU, gave his commitment. Then came the Dowler Twins, Taco and Caden, a pair of electric and fast wide receiver and defensive backs out of Billings West High. Those three are among four Montana products committed to the Bobcats. The other is Burke Mastel, a lineman from Red Lodge. Montana currently holds commitments from Helena High quarterback Caden Hewitt, Helena linebacker Marcus Evans, Hamilton quarterback Tyson Rostad, Missoula Sentinel defensive end Zach Cruz, and Kalispell Glacier kicker Patrick Rohrbach. A pair of the most noticeable prep football results of the week came from two Western Montana Class B contenders. Fresh off a 52-0 win over defending state champion Manhattan, Florence Rolled past number seven, Three Forks, 43-0 on Friday. And Loyola, a team that did not score a touchdown last fall, won for the second time this season by outlasting the free-falling Tigers 20-14 in overtime. The biggest upset in the Class AA ranks Friday came when upstart Butte posted a 34-20 win over Hewitt and number two, Helena High. 
This 102.9 ESPN Missoula Sports Center is brought to you by Aspen Sound. Montana State Minute with Alex Eshelman. She's a reporter in Bozeman for SWX Montana. She's doing a great job covering the Bobcats and all things Gallatin Valley sports. She made her debut at the Gold Rush, first time at Bobcat Stadium on Saturday on SWX Montana Television. Time now for the second edition of a great new segment we have here at Nuanez Now. It's the Montana State Minute with Alex Eshelman. Alex is a reporter for our great partners here, SWX Montana Television, as well as ABC Fox Montana. And she, on the field level of Montana State's awesome 45-7 victory over Drake last weekend. So, Alex, let's start there. Your first gold rush experience, your first time on the sidelines at Bobcat Stadium, and I heard it was lit in Bozeman. So what did you think of gold rush? Oh my gosh, Coulter. It was everything that I could have imagined and more. I've been coming to Bozeman in May of 2020 and just crossing my fingers for the football season to happen in 2020, which of course it didn't. It eventually got canceled for Montana State in the spring. So to finally be there, you could feel the energy and the buildup Starting on about Wednesday, really Thursday, and then Friday, I felt like everybody, there was this anxiousness feeling in the air. And the next day, I came a little bit early just to go, you know, talk to fans and kind of experience the game day atmosphere before I had to get on the field. And people were saying they they had been out there since the crack of dawn. I Once I got into the stadium, it was so loud. It was louder than I expected it to be. Uh, I don't know why, but it was way louder than I expected it to be. And not one person was without a gold t-shirt on. So pretty incredible experience to say the least. You went to the University of Arizona. So you have been in Pac-12 stadiums. How did that compare? It was right up there. I mean, Unfortunately, as you know, U of A has not been the shining star of the Pac-12 by any means in recent years. Right. Um, so the attendance rate it took a downhill uh, tumble a little bit in my my years of being there. But I mean, I had been to or I, I was fortunate able to uh, travel to Oregon, to UCLA, to Washington. Um, and I would put it up there against any of those. I mean, I, I don't think that at the end of the day, it really comes down to the number of seats that there are. It, it, what matters is how many people attend the game and their energy level. And Montana State is right up there. Let's talk about the game. Like you mentioned, Brent Vegan, his first victory as Montana State's head coach. It's against a team from the Pioneer Football League. It's a non-scholarship program. But Drake San Diego, who's also coming to Bozeman this weekend, they're the better teams in the in the Pioneer Football League. They have football tradition. They usually have FCS quality players that just chose to go to a non-scholarship school because of the academic opportunities at those two institutions. But all that mm-hmm. said, you can only play who's on your schedule and you can only dominate to the level that you can dominate too. But Montana State, pretty dominant, particularly in the first half. So what you think of the action on the field? 
uh, action was absolutely electric. I think more so uh, in the second half, Coach Vegan was a little more pleased with the way that his team finished and uh, just performed on both sides of the ball. But when the game first started, I re- the pass game is what is really standing out to me about this game in particular. Uh, I think that's something, I mean, you know this culture, that's something that Bobcat fans have kind of wanted to see a little bit more of, and we definitely got that in this game. I think we had a good uh, view of Matthew McKay. He was awesome. I thought his connection to Lance McCutcheon makes it even better that he's a Bozeman native. Willie Patterson, so great to see him dominate on um, on Saturday as well, especially because he's battled some injuries the past couple of years. So that is what really stood out to me. Um, I thought the run game was okay offensively. I think maybe it could have been a, a little bit better. Uh, and Isaiah Fonte even said that in his uh, presser this week. He said it was okay, and um, and he'd like to see a, a little bit more happen there. But passing to me is what really stands out offensively from this game. What about you? I think it's so fascinating to me because when you have passionate fan bases, and, and make no mistake about it, I think Montana State and Montana have two of the most passionate fan bases in the entire country. And I think that the fact that uh, you mentioned the Bobcat Stadium's up there with Pac-12 uh, schools in terms of just ferocity and volume and all that, it's true. I've been to a lot. I mean, I've been to Utah, I've been to Washington, Washington State, Oregon, Oregon State, UCLA, mm-hmm. and I mean, Montana and Montana State, they have a couple of the best home venues that you can find, and, and people just love it. But I also find it fascinating that that people seem to pine for whatever the identity of their team is not. In other words, Montana State was the best rushing team in the Big Sky Conference during the Jeff Choate era. They put a high priority on it. They didn't really have any ambition to throw the ball. They just wanted to run it down your throat, play defense, and just beat other teams up. And they did it really, really well, especially in Choate's last two seasons. But it always left people wanting more. More from the quarterbacks. More from the quarterback play. More from the passing game. Well, now, seems like you got a quarterback-oriented coach, an offensive-minded coach, and Brent Vegan. Think you got a really creative play caller and Taylor House right. Montana State's getting a bunch of players involved in the pass game. I think 11 different Bobcats caught passes on Saturday. Yep. And what are we hearing? Well, we wish the run game was better. Well, why isn't Isaiah Fonte rushing for 150 yards a game? So I, I just think it's funny <laughs> <laughs> to hear the, the sort of feedback because you, you always want what you don't have or what you can't have. But all that said, um, I think that Matt McKay is good, and I think he has an ability to get a lot better. I think he has a lot higher ceiling than he's even showing right now. Willie Patterson's always been one of my favorite guys on the team just because I think he has a great story. Uh, he was sort of this urban legend coming out of high school in Tacoma. And a guy that was clearly an electric athlete, but he's just battled injuries for so long. And also, each time he does get nicked up, he falls behind a guy named Coy Steele, who's one of the hardest working guys on the team. So he's always hard to beat out once Patterson has been you know, back in the fold healthy. Oh, well, that leads to my next question. But Alex Usherman joining us on Nuanas Now, Montana State Minute, one of our new segments here on ESPN Radio. Uh, Willie Patterson caught a pair of touchdowns, Alex. And, uh, one of which he did a backflip afterwards and he kind of got in the doghouse for that. <laughs> and I know that Coach Vegan's trying to make a point uh, in terms of you know making it not about an individual, making it about the team. But all that said, just knowing Willie P a little bit, knowing you know just the charismatic guy he is, I wasn't surprised at all he did a backflip. Of course he did. He's like new age James Brown. He's always out there on the sidelines dancing. So I thought it was great. So regardless, but what do you think just in general of Willie Patterson's contributions? Oh my gosh, Coulter. I couldn't agree more. And I understand completely um you know the whole point of celebrating as a team and not drawing attention to yourself football is all about 
the team. It, you know, it's about, it, it's a, it's a collective group working together. He wouldn't have been able to, to score that touchdown or get into the end zone. If it weren't, weren't for his O line, if it weren't for Matt McKay, you know, if it weren't for everybody else doing their job, but, um, you know, I love seeing it. And I thought it was amazing seeing that up close in person after the run that he had that 31 yard touchdown turns around and does a backflip and lands so effortlessly. I was like, what the heck? It took me years to get a standing back <laughs> for cheerleading. And this guy not only just scores a touchdown, sprints into the end zone, but turns around and just flips into the air like no problem. So I get it. I totally get where Coach Vegan was coming from. He was not happy about it. And I think that just so much more to coach vegan as a coach and just as a person he's so selfless in that remark and so about the team he doesn't like to draw attention to himself or to any one particular player it's a collective effort and so i get it but i remember talking to willie patterson in media day Coulter, and he made a comment to me and it wasn't a it wasn't a cocky comment by any means but he said to me he's like you know what i have battled injuries i've i've paid my dues i've pushed through adversity it's willie p's time and so when he said that i'm like it is willie p's time when he did that backflip i loved it totally agree let the kids have some fun it's montana state minute alex Eshelman from swx montana joining us here nuanas now on 1029 espn missoula as well as statewide television on swx montana and the last thing i want to ask you about alex not necessarily in terms of the analysis of the performance, but more the mentality of the guys. I think that interviewing Amandre Williams and Trey Webb this week, as well as hearing from Ty mm-hmm. Okada, Daniel Hardy in the post game, they all said totally. basically the same thing, that they're happy with the defensive performance so far, but that it's the expectation. And I feel like that's the, the key storyline for Montana State right now is not necessarily that they're playing lights out defense, but that they're expecting to, and then that that's the standard. So, I mean, you, you've talked to these guys. First of all, how great are Daniel Hardy and Ty Okada? I mean, all these guys are so great to interview, right? Oh, my gosh. The best. The best culture. You're in there with all of them every single week, and there's really not one guy, really, that I can pinpoint um, that they don't speak well, that they can't interact with the media or interact with people and just have a conversation. Um, and not only that, but on top of it, they have let their personality shine, which in particular, Daniel Hardy, I love talking to Daniel Hardy because he's so, he's just excited. He has an energy and um, has an aura about him that gets you excited to not only talk about the defense, but talk about his performance, the overall game, the guys. Um, and I, I couldn't agree more. I think that there is a very high expectation for this team this year, and it's a really unique one because, as we know, 2019 was their best season as a program since ni- 1984 when they won the whole thing. Uh, so and a-, a bunch of those same guys are still on the team, but they faced so much with a new coaching staff, with COVID, with not being able to play in nearly two years. So it's this weird balance, but I think that it just speaks so much to the culture of the program and the culture that Coach Vegan has, uh, you know, taken from Coach Cho's time and even, you know, kept that expectation and and made it that much better, too. So I'm excited to see where the rest of the year goes. I'm excited to see how they perform against the University of San Diego as well. I think it'll be a little tougher matchup uh, than, than Drake. What do you think? 
They absolutely do. Lindsay at San Diego is uh, one of the veteran coaches in the country. I mean, he's been a football mm-hmm. coach in some capacity since 1961. He, uh, and he's also going to join us here on our ESPN Roundtable, our, our number two here on Nuanez now. But Dale Lindsay coaching the NFL for 27 years. So he'll have uh, good players. They've been a playoff team multiple times in a row out of the Pioneer Football League. So I definitely think San Diego will be a little bit more of a test for Montana State uh, as they have one last tune-up before Big Sky Conference play. She's Alex Eshelman. It's our Montana State Minute here on Nuanez now. One last thing for you, Alex. What do you got going on there in SWX Montana? Anything cool or fun? Anything good features you're working on? Any content that you hope people uh, are getting ready to enjoy? Definitely. Always. Always, Coulter, always. But right now, really, I was just uh, talking to, um, I forget who I was talking to about this, but earlier this week, I was saying this is kind of, in a way, um, a, a rookie fall season for me again, because last year, I didn't have to balance Uh, you know, Montana State fall sports season along with high school. So last year I was focusing so much more on high school. This year, everything is in full swing again. Um, So a lot of just live game coverage going on for me. Not too many features, but I will say one that I'm hoping to highlight um, and I'm not sure if you know this, but it is put out there. Uh, Taylor Tuiasasopa, he he is... um, and I apologize if I mispronunciated his last name. That is a mouthful. But he, off the field, of course, big-time O-lineman for Montana State, but off the field, he's an artist. He, In, in terms of, he's a musician. Uh, he is a rapper, and so I'm hoping to kind of uh, talk to him a little bit and hear a little bit more about his passion off the field. So stay tuned for that. <laughs> Very good. I've listened to a couple of Taylor Tuiasasopo's mixtapes. He's talented, and uh, he's a great guy, man. Really well-rounded. Comes from a great family. People around the Northwest, very familiar with that last name because Marcus mm-hmm. Tuiasasopo, great quarterback for the Washington Huskies, mm-hmm. led him to the Rose Bowl back in 2000. I know Taylor's dad, he played his ball at USC, and rest in peace to him. I know he passed away right. during the offseason, so I know that's been something that Taylor's been going through. But that would be a great feature story, Alex, and I know people will look very much forward to it. Alex Eshelman, SWX Montana, as part of our Montana State Minute. Thanks so much for joining us, Alex, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you as always, Coulter. Such a pleasure and a privilege to be on your show and uh, let's head into week three. Let's do it. For unquestionably committed coverage of Montana, Montana State, and Big Sky Conference athletics from a homegrown local source, you can count on Skyline Sports. The grassroots news-gathering organization is owned and operated by Coulter and Brooks Nuanas, a pair of Missoula natives and University of Montana graduates. For the best sports journalism in the state, you can choose to buy local when you choose to buy Skyline Sports. For $8 a month or $90 a year, you can get the best coverage available at SkylineSportsMT.com. Skyline Sports, every day, every season. Well, happy now for the latest edition of our new weekly segment, Catching Up with the Cats, where we'll hit both current and former Montana State Bobcats. And this week, we're joined by Amandre Williams here on ESPN Radio. He's a senior defensive end for the Bobcats. Montana State been playing pretty salty defensively these first two weeks, but to be expected, given the veterans of the Bobcats return to their lineup. So, Amandre, let's just start there. I thought it was interesting listening to both Daniel Hardy and Ty Okada after your guys' 45-7 gold rush win over Drake. And they were talking about how the defensive performance has been good, but it's what's expected. It's kind of what you guys believe you can be and will be. So just talk about that element of it. I mean, how much does the expectation influence the way you prepare mentally and the way that you guys go about your business on the field? Sure. As a defense, we have high standards for ourselves and 
we know that if we execute our jobs and we do our jobs to the best of our abilities, then we'll win football games. That's exactly what we go set out to do every single week. And like I said, we have a high standard and, and we feel good when we meet that standard. And I think a lot of people will be able to see that. Coach Vegan's talked a lot uh, over the last month and a half or so about his philosophy of football. It seems like he always is going back to knowing exactly where you're going and then playing as fast as you can. Easier said than done, though, right? So, I mean, when I watch you guys, it seems like you're playing incredibly fast. Is that just a, a product of acclimating to the scheme really well? Or how, how are you guys able to play as fast as you're playing right now? A lot of it has to do with just being prepared and studying and knowing your opponent. If you know something, then you're able to just play and do your job and not have to think about it too much and these guys do a lot, or do a good job of doing that, just doing the extra preparation during the week, and coaches put together a great game, game plan. And when it comes down to game day, we're out there. We're able to go out there and just execute and just do our jobs and play fast. Montese got its first victory of the 2021 season, but I want to go back two weeks to the debut game, first game in almost two years for MSU at War Memorial Stadium in Wyoming against the Wyoming Cowboys. And I know probably a little bit of a special moment for you as well. I guess your last first game, first and foremost, but also your father, Tyrone, was a great defensive end at Wyoming as well. So what was it like for you kind of going back to your roots? I don't know if you've ever been to that stadium before or not, but that must have been kind of cool playing in a stadium your pops once played in. Yeah, it was definitely really cool. It was my first time out there. I hadn't been out to Laramie before, but it was kind of a cool feeling to be on the same field that my dad played on. And it was exci- First, it was exciting to get back out on the football field, period, and play football games. I know a lot of guys were excited about that. But, yeah, this one meant a little bit more to me. It was a little bit more special, and I kind of felt that when I was out there. Catching up with the Cats, Monterey Williams from Montana State joining us here on Nuanez Now, ESPN Radio, as well as statewide TV, SWX Montana Television. And Monterey, what did you take from that game? Because you guys battled all the way down the end. But uh, I know on one hand mm-hmm. you could say, hey, only lost to an FBS by three points. But on the other hand, uh, you guys were in control of the game for most of the game. So what was kind of the feeling coming out of the Wyoming loss? We'll never go into a football game and be okay with losing it. Um, Obviously, we're going to try to go win every single football game we play. So I know a lot of guys were disappointed that we couldn't get that done. Um, Coming out of it, we know we had a lot of things to clean up. And and our goal every single week is to improve. And that week is done with. And unfortunately, we can't go back and change our results. So now our job is just to continually improve and just get better and go out and deliberately try to do that every single day. 2019 season, you were an all-big sky selection, playing that buck end spot in the old defense that Jeff Choate, Ty Gregorak, Kane Ione were all operating, but now playing a little bit more of a traditional defensive end spot here in Freddie Banks' defense. So what do you think of just the change? What's, what are the biggest differences? What are the biggest challenges? Biggest difference, I'd say, is, I mean, I have my hand on the ground every single down now, so I'm able to get after the passer a little bit more, play more on the front line, not drop into coverage as much. Um I mean, I like the change. I've always been a defensive end, so nothing was too new for me. Um, but, I mean, at the end of the day, football is football and defense is defense. And every single day I'm just going to go out and try to do that, whether I'm asked to put my hand on the ground or whether I'm asked to stand up and drop off the edge. One guy I've enjoyed talking to the last couple of weeks has been Daniel Hardy, and he seems like he's really thriving in his position move as well. Uh, sort of similar to yourself, you know, coming from more of an edge guy to now playing a, a real defensive end spot. But what do you think of just his talent, his ability to contribute to the team? Because it seems like he's playing at a high level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Daniel is definitely playing at a very high level. He's a smart kid. He's an athletic freak, man. He goes out and he makes plays and he works really hard. And that's that's one great thing about him because oftentimes you get talented guys that don't work very hard. And he does both. He's one of the hardest workers that we have on the team. And he's obviously very talented. And it's fun to see him go out and make plays and take this new position and just be great at it. 
When he first came to Montana State, uh, he told me the whole story about losing his father at a young, you know, when he was in high school and, and how he kind of came to the game of football because he wanted sort of a family element. He wanted to be around guys that he could sort of build into being his brothers. And it seems like he's brought that same sort of attitude, sort of the love of the locker room, the love of his teammates to Montana State. So do you see that in him? And, and uh, how does that add just to the, the element of you guys' locker room? Because it seems like, especially you older guys, you guys are pretty close. Yeah, no, the, the team is definitely close. And that honestly just speaks to Daniel's character and his ability to just go through something like that, something that adverse and be able to come through and just want to be able to be a brother to a football team after having something like that. And he does that every single day. He makes guys feel like family and it's fun to be around him. And in turn, it feeds off to other guys. It, it ultimately brings the team closer. Amanda Williams joining us here in Nuwana is now 1029 ESPN Radio as well as statewide television, SWX Montana TV. Amandre is a defensive end senior for the Montana State Bobcats. It's part of our Catching Up with the Cats series where we will do interviews with current Bobcats, also some podcast stuff with some former Bobcats. If you want to go check out a couple of our podcast uh, portion of this series, you can go find Mike Person as well as J.P. Flynn, a couple great offensive linemen for the Bobcats, both of whom played in the NFL. So go check that out as well. But Amandre, let's talk about the here and now. You guys got San Diego coming to town, the last non-conference game before Big Sky conference play gets underway so what's the overall look ahead at the Toreros and and uh, what do you guys think just about this last non-conference with Big Sky Conference play on the horizon sure San Diego's a good team they're very well coached they're a disciplined team big athletic guys and they're going to be a good test for us and we're excited to go out and get another game in in front of uh, the fans here at Bobcat Stadium and we know that uh, San Diego's going to be a good test well, Monitor, I know it's a busy time of year. We appreciate you taking the time, man. You're always welcome back around here. But in the meantime, best of luck on Saturday. I'm looking forward to being in Bobcat Stadium, checking you guys out live and in person. But in the meantime, be well. All right, thank you. I appreciate it. Football is back, and Nuwana's Now has everything you need to know about the weekend for the Grizzlies, the Bobcats, around the Big Sky Conference, and around the Treasure State in the prep ranks, too. Join Colter Nuwana's and other contributing guests for the first hour of each Monday's Nuwana's Now, beginning at 4 p.m. for compelling analysis, interesting information, interviews, and more. The Montana Football Hour, the first hour of each Monday's Nuwana's Now, beginning at 4 p.m. on 1029 ESPN Missoula and statewide on SWX Montana Television. The Montana Football Hour, presented by Stockman Bank of Montana. Big Sky Breakdown, SkylineSportsMT.com, rolling on as we prepare for just one game in the state of Montana this weekend. Montana State hosting San Diego. The Bobcats coming off a 45-7 victory over Drake last week during the gold rush. Welcome in now, Trey Webb. He's a safety for the Montana State Bobcats. And Trey, before we get into some of your story and uh, sort of your path to Montana State, let's first and foremost talk about the weekend that was. The Gold Rush is gaining a reputation as one of the great home openers in all of college football. And uh, last weekend in Bozeman, yeah. it was lit, man. It was The energy was palpable. It was pretty fun uh, to be in the stadium. So what was your thoughts just on Bobcat Stadium in your first home game in Bozeman? Yeah, my first home game in Bozeman was amazing. It was unlike I've ever experienced. I've never experienced a home game quite like that, honestly, even coming from my old school. Um, so it was definitely – I was definitely appreciated, appreciated. I definitely appreciated the home crowd. Let's talk about your path to Montana State. I know you're a guy that was uh... – 
pretty late to come to this team and there's been there a lot, there's a lot of guys that have come in both uh, high school recruits as well as transfers but they had to wait so long because Montana State they did not participate in the spring season and so for a lot of guys in the program it's been a couple years since they played but you played last fall at San Jose State and then you joined the Bobcats this summer so tell us just kind of about your path what led you uh, from San Jose to, to Bozeman and, and what sort of things did Montana State what did they appeal to you for? Yeah, so coming from uh, San Jose, I was former captain, uh, helped uh, bring a champ- the first Mountain West Championship to San Jose in program history. So that, that was quite the experience, unlike I've ever experienced, honestly. And what led to my transition to, uh, to Montana was that uh, a, number, a number of schools were interested in me once I hit the transfer portal. And um, like Notre Dame and uh, Mississippi State and all these Power Five schools, and uh, it ended up just not working out because of COVID and other situations and scholarship numbers and stuff such like that. So Montana State was always um, on me ever since I hit the portal, and I just continued to develop that relationship with the coaching staff, and uh, it just it ended up blossoming into a great relationship and. Uh, once I came on my visit, I, I fell in love with the campus, the the atmosphere, the state, and the and the team. Honestly, uh, I just I just, I saw how hard these guys worked, how hard these guys wanted to play, and um, I just wanted to be a part of it and help contribute any way I can. Did it take some courage, or what, what went into thinking from leaving a, a successful San Jose State program? Because I know that that's been a program that had a hard time getting on track, but you guys had a great year in the fall, like you mentioned, first Mountain West title uh, in school history. Uh, so was it tough to, to walk away from, from a team like that? Yeah, it was definitely uh, hard leaving, leaving my guys over there at San Jose. Such great relationships, my great brotherhood, and um, I, was, I was just looking uh, – forward to the next to the next goal honestly I just was looking forward to playing in um in a power five conference possibly and uh it was definitely coming to fruition uh with Notre Dame and they were on me like like as soon as I entered the portal and it was looking like I was going to go there but you know God works in mysterious ways and um I'm just happy that Montana State uh accepted me here, accepted me in the program, accepted me with open arms. And like I said, I'm just ready to give them everything I got over here. When you first got contacted by Notre Dame, I mean, Notre Dame is is a brand like almost no other in, in sports in general, not just college football. So, that, I mean, that must have been thrilling for you. Oh, yeah, of course. It was, it was amazing to um, get recognition from uh, from a school like that that's constantly competing in the upper echelon of college football, competing in bowl games, competing for uh, the national championship and such. So it was definitely, uh, it was definitely, definitely fulfilling going through this whole process. But, you know, like I said, God works in mysterious ways, and I trust in his plan, and, I, and that's what led me to Montana State and um, just ready to win a national championship over here, honestly. What was the biggest selling point for Bozeman for you, or, or Montana State in general? What, what do you like about not only the program, but the school and the town and all that? Yeah, I definitely uh, love the college uh, atmosphere, the college town atmosphere over here. 
Um, definitely have never experienced that ever. And, uh, it was definitely, it, it, it felt, it filled me with such like gratitude, feeling this love from all the fans and the, the people, the coaching staff and everybody. And another thing is, um, the, my teammates here, they immediately opened me with open arms. Um, it was, uh, it was great just introducing myself to everybody, but I knew I had to earn it. And once I, uh, I, I still feel like I need to earn it and I still feel like I need to prove myself to these guys. But after like, after fall camp, you know, the bond we develop and we continue to develop is just great. And they're going to be my brothers for life. Trey, let's talk about the Bobcat defense. I think that, uh, you guys got some versatility, particularly when you talk about your linebackers and your safeties, some guys that can play a lot of spots all over the field. Uh, but how have you fit into the defense? What do you think of just the overall scheme? And, and how much does the versatility that a lot of guys, specifically guys like Ty Okada, Troy Anderson, how much does that add to your guys' great performances so far? Yeah, so with me and Ty and uh, Jeff, you can you could honestly plug and play us anywhere in the defense or in the secondary, I mean – and we would definitely perform at a high level. You know, Ty could play strong and and create havoc just like he's doing at, at nickel, and I could definitely play nickel and show off my cover ability in the slot and with the tight ends and such. Or you could plug me at corner, and I could definitely help on the outside. And with Jeff, he, he could definitely play strong and nickel for us, and he's great in coverage, great tackler. And uh, with Troy, I feel like he's so – versatile and so fast um unlike most linebackers you see today and he could definitely cover the slot receivers definitely definitely cover tight ends of course and uh honestly you could probably move him like a big nickel honestly on the outside if you wanted to but he he he's such a he's our anchor in our defense so it fits perfectly with him playing mike and um we all just complement each other we all just play off of each other the, our communication is great on the field. Um, and we, like I said, we just play off of each other and we want to we wanna continue making plays for each other. Let's talk about this weekend. Montana State at home again. San Diego coming to town, a team from the Pioneer Football League. Uh, your general thoughts on San Diego and uh, what do you guys think of this last tune-up before Big Sky Conference player gets rolling? Yeah, definitely San Diego has a very experienced team and a great – athletic O-line over there. They have some uh, very shifty receivers, and they have a, a pretty good uh, downhill, downhill running back that they have over there. So it will be a great test for us, honestly. And we just continue to um, fly around, play fast, play physical, and uh, stay disciplined. And I think if we do that, nobody in, in college football could mess with our defense, honestly. Last question for you then. I think that's such an interesting part of this whole thing is you guys have a bunch of great athletes, a bunch of really physically talented guys. But to me, just talking to Ty Okada, Daniel Hardy, talked to Andre Williams earlier today too. It seems like the expectation to be great is there. You guys expect to be lights out. I mean, it's like Hardy told me, he said, hey, the offense gets a field goal, we expect to win, 3 nothing." So how much does, does that level of expectation, that uh, sort of required level of excellence, influence your mentality as a player and, and just your guys' overall defensive mentality as a unit? 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, one one of the first things I remember hearing when I got on campus and everything, and I got acclimated with everybody, was that it was national championship or or nothing. Um, that was the first thing I remember, and uh, coming from a team that just won a ring and just won the Mountain West Championship, I would want nothing more to add to my collection, honestly. And um, I'm all about winning. I'm all about bringing leadership to this team. Whatever they need me to do, my versatility, like like you were talking about, I'm I'm just prepared to uh to give it to them. And um, with the defense, we we definitely put a lot of pressure on ourselves, but it's it's also good at the same time. And we we expect nothing but greatness. And like you said, we we expect shutouts. We expect um, three and outs, and we. We don't. We strive for nothing. Nothing less. And we we continue to fly around, run to the ball, stay disciplined, and play physical. And I love that about our defense. And uh, we we're always just running running hot and trying to trying to get the ball back for our offense. Well, Trey, nice talking to you today. Appreciate it, man. We'll be in the house, Bobcat Stadium on Saturday. Can't wait to have the whole team from Skyline Sports there. But in the meantime, best of luck with your game on Saturday. Look forward to meeting you in person, but thanks for taking some time today. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. Do you want your sports news, commentary, and features from a corporate publication? Would you like to hear it from local experts who have lived in your community their entire lives? At Skyline Sports, Coulter and Brooks Nuanas bring more than two decades of experience to give you old-school journalism with a new-age presentation at SkylineSportsMT.com. The Nuanas brothers provide knowledge from a family who lives Big Sky Conference athletics every day. For $8 a month or 90 bucks a year, get access to comprehensive college grizz and bobcat coverage at SkylineSportsMT.com. Skyline Sports, every Every day, every season. Well, happy now to welcome in longtime football coach and the current head coach for the San Diego Toreros as they make their way to Bozeman, Montana to take on Montana State on Saturday. It's part of our ESPN Roundtable. We do this each Wednesday during the 5 o'clock hour. We welcome in San Diego head coach Dale Lindsay. Coach, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine so far. Thank you. Well, first of all, I think that I've caught up with you in the past because... San Diego seems to always find their way to playing Big Sky Conference teams. So with our work at Skyline Sports covering the league at large, seems we always got San Diego on the radar. I know, Coach, you've played Big Sky teams throughout the years in the playoffs, but particularly this year as well, it's been all Big Sky all the time with a couple Big Sky games already on the docket for you, and now you have another one coming up against the Bobcats. So what, what is just your perception of the Big Sky Conference? What do you think of these matchups when you take on Big Sky teams? Well, we're playing uphill because uh... – we look at it as they've had 62 or 63 scholarships to offer. We've had zero. And it's a good way to evaluate our own team, uh, see how we're going to play under uh, adverse re- uh, situations and what happens when you play people better than you. And we, we found out last week that uh, UC Davis has a pretty good football team. Well, let's talk about that element. Last week, UC Davis posted a 53-7 victory over San Diego, and I know that there was a lot of question marks with UC Davis coming into this fall because they had to replace a great quarterback in Jake Mayer, who's now playing up in the CFL. They uh, lost their offensive coordinator, Tim Plow, one of the best coordinators in the league, who made his way to Boise State, uh, but it seems like they got it really rolling. So uh, just your thoughts on the Aggies. What were their strengths, and uh, what did you think of Dan Hawkins' overall team? Well, I've known Dan a long time. He used to come to training camp by coach with the Chargers, and he's put together – I think that this is his best addition. They have the size, the speed, 
and the strength at every spot that I saw. I didn't see any weaknesses in their team. And uh, they uh, have an array of trick plays, which whoever's going to play them better be alert for them. Uh, just when you uh, try to tighten up for them knocking you down, they come with some wild, crazy uh, uh, double pass or reverse pass, something, and you got a guy running wide open, and they sort of blow the game open. That's what they did to us. I think we... We stood uh, firm with them as far as blow to blow, but they were just faster, bigger, and stronger. And that's what we that's what we run into when we get into the big sky with the scholarship schools. Dale Lindsay joining us. He's the head coach of San Diego. They make their way to Bozeman to take on the Bobcats on Saturday. It's the only game in the state of Montana. Montana, University of Montana, is on a bye. Uh, coach, one more thought on UC Davis. Uh, you mentioned you known Coach Atkins for a long time. I know that when he was at Boise State, they kind of had a penchant for uh, and a love for those trick plays as well. So uh, I mean, you've been around the game a long time. It's one thing to to have sort of trick plays in your arsenal. It's another thing to sort of make it a, a trademark of yours. So how do you think that you go about doing that without making it too much of a risk or too much of a sideshow? How, is, how has Hawk been able to do that so often throughout his career? Well, I think, I think his team right now is very physical and tough with the base offense that they, that they normally use week in, week out. This addition that he's added, particularly perimeter plays, double passes and trick plays, has just given another dimension so you really can't load up on him to stop something particularly uh, that he does well. So I think it's a really good addition to their offense and they uh, sort of keep you off balance, which is a little bit different than they've done in the past. And one more question on the big sky, because you guys opened with Cal Poly and a whole new look for the Mustangs under Bo Baldwin. Uh, no more triple option. Now they're uh, playing a more wide open style like Coach Baldwin sort of established as his identity first at Eastern Washington and then at Cal. Uh, so what were your thoughts on Cal Poly, your guys' season opener? Well, I think they have a good team. Uh, I don't think they have the size or speed that Davis has, but they're very physical. And I thought his defense uh, was better than they presented to us in the past. And I think they're doing a good job with Polly. Uh, I think anytime a coach walks into a program that uh, has changed coaches, there's a reason you're there. So you either change uh, the way the players work or you change players. I don't know which one he's done, but I think he's doing a really good job at Cal Poly. Well, Coach, before we get into this week's game, let's talk a little bit about San Diego in general. I know that it is a beautiful school, a beautiful campus, an excellent academic institution. I mean, one of their premier schools in the country, quite honestly. And I know the Pioneer Football League is a league that's made a lot of progress in terms of earning an automatic bid to the FCS playoffs and the competitiveness that some of the teams are operating with. I know that it's a little bit of a sweet science in terms of building FCS caliber teams with, like you mentioned, not having athletic scholarships available to you so t- take us through it the challenges and, and what it's like recruiting to a school like that because it seems like you have a lot of stuff to sell for prospective recruits but also uh probably a little bit difficult given the academic standards and the fact you don't have athletic scholarships well our selling point here is the academics and, and uh, there are some really good players out there who want academics more than they want a scholarship of football and so we try to find out who they are and lure them here to San Diego, which the other thing we, we sell quite handily is we have beautiful weather. And should anyone listening know where there's a better weather spot, call me, I'll go with you. <laughs> and uh, 
So, you know, and we've had a, a, I call a, a, a pretty good winning percentage here. So if you've got good academics and you're winning and you've got good weather and you have beautiful girls, those are things that we're trying to sell that, that uh, hopefully somebody wants. And we've been very fortunate in finding kids who in, in some years have been uh, recipients of scholarship offers that they didn't care for the academics at certain schools, and they, they chose us, and we were very happy that they did. It's just that uh, we have some uh, high standards academically that we have to have them meet. And, of course, I think one of the, the best parts of this program are the parents who make great sacrifices for their sons to come here and play football. Dale Lindsay, head coach San Diego, joining us here on Nuanas Now. It's our ESPN Roundtable presented by Paradise Falls of Missoula. Need a place to watch football this weekend, whether it's high school football on Friday night, you want to watch the Bobcat game on Saturday, or any college football Saturday, you want to watch the NFL on Sunday, head on down to Paradise Falls. they got 30 big screen TVs, 18 draft beers, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's a great place for the whole family to go enjoy yourself some football. Uh, Coach, from a on-field perspective, you guys have had tremendous success uh, during your time there at San Diego. I think 68 and 21 overall, and uh, only four conference losses in the Pioneer League. And you, you went four straight years without losing a Pioneer League game as well. So uh, got in the playoffs multiple times. I know you won some playoff games, particularly against Big Sky schools. Took out Cal Poly as well as Northern Arizona a couple years back. So what has gotten into the success that you guys have had at San Diego? What has helped you uh, sort of craft your team into the premier squad in the Pioneer Football League? Well, I think I'm blessed with 10 really good coaches who are here for the right reasons. They're here to do the right thing. They are excellent at evaluating and recruiting players. And we've been very successful on getting some players here. Uh, some, I think, shouldn't have been here, should have been at bigger schools. And uh, that wanted what we had to offer academically and, and weren't phased by the cost of school. So, I think it's been a sort of a a perfect storm where there were years where we just wound up with kids that that were exceptional and uh, that they played hard and and things fell right for us. I mean, we we like I say we've had some uh, really lucky winning streaks and uh, we just got to keep finding the the right chemistry for these guys and hopefully we can hit on some of the. Uh, future Toreros like we have in the past. And if we do, then we'll continue with with a successful program. You mentioned the the cost of tuition, and that's definitely an eye-opener, especially when you talk about a private school like San Diego. You also mentioned the parents. So when you are recruiting, is that a a big part of it, is this recruiting the parents? Well, I consider that my job. I I think coaches do a great job recruiting the players, and it's my job when we get the parents here to – convince them that it's in their best interest to put out roughly around $75,000 a year for their son to come to school here. One of the selling points that we have had in the past is in the eight years I've been here, we're graduating 95% of our players, which is an object of, should be an object of any college. And uh, most of our kids are in the six figure range when they leave here. So, uh, there is there is a light at the end of the tunnel. It's just four years getting there, and we hopeful that uh, we're hopeful that some of our players who are striking it rich also pay back their student loans rather than dumping on their parents. And like I say we we've been very fortunate in having kids. Here. We have drone engineers. We have one boy that works on Star Wars. 
from multiple business guys who are in sales, CPAs, and every now and then we have a coach. And uh, we don't we don't know what he's doing here, but every now and then we've had a player to get into coaching. Some of them have come back. We've hired some of them back here at USD that were good players and, and want to go into coaching. And so we've been very fortunate in finding the right kids with a bunch of great parents. Dale Lindsay joining us, head coach of San Diego, the ESPN Roundtable here on Nuanas Now 1029 ESPN Radio, as well as statewide television, SWX Montana Television. And coach, let's talk a little bit about your coaching career. You have been coaching since 1974, and you coached for years and years and years in the NFL before diving into the college ranks uh, later on in your career. So uh, first of all, just take us through your time in the league. I know that you coached some great players, coached some great teams uh, during your time in the NFL, but what was that experience overall like for you? Well, playing and coaching, I had 29 years in the NFL. There's probably not a better place to uh, make money and develop a retirement and enjoy yourself at the same time. Now, is there pressure? Yeah, there's a lot of pressure there to win. I know the folks sitting at home watching those games on Sunday afternoon or Saturday or whatever, there's a whole lot of time spent in those offices just trying to figure out a way to beat the other guy. I feel very fortunate in that I feel like ever since 1974, I've never really had a job. I'm coaching, uh, whether it be NFL, college, or I've even coached in high school. I've been very fortunate and to do something I really like, and therefore I don't consider it work. It's like I'm getting, I've got a hobby that's paid me pretty good throughout life. I've just been very fortunate and I've uh, had the opportunity to have, I used the word, they, Junior say I'm Brian Urlacher, coach me. I didn't coach them. They're both in the Hall of Fame, and that would be a pleasure for anybody uh, at any level to have somebody like that that uh, I can tell you right now can do anything physically you ask them to do. And not all of us are like that. That's, <laughs> that's, that's a rarity to have. Uh, but like I said, I, I've, I've enjoyed high school as much as I've enjoyed the NFL. It's uh, a way to stay young. These players keep you on your toes. I've got, like I said, I have 10 coaches here. I don't know a thing about a computer, so I have to call on those guys to help me all the time. And it's just been a, a wonderful ride, and I'm hoping that to uh, stay on the merry-go-round for a few more years. Well, it's very well put. Junior Seau, particularly, one of my favorite players of all time, and a guy that just had so much magnetism. I mean, a guy that seemed like everybody gravitated toward. Uh, But you mentioned his physical skills, but more than that, I mean, just the man that he was. That must have been a true pleasure to be around him for the time that you were. Oh, absolutely. Junior's one of the finest people I've ever met in the game. Uh, But people don't realize what you saw on Sunday afternoon, he did Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, too. And he only knew one speed that's 100 miles an hour. That's how he practiced. Uh, I can't say that we always saw eye to eye on everything, but that's player-coach relationship anyway. And the thing with Brian Urlacher, Urlacher had the same talent distributed in a different way. Junior might have been a bit more explosive in five- to seven-yard area, but both of them, uh, God gifted them with so much DNA, it's unbelievable. And what's really nice is 
both these guys had great pride in their workmanship. They were always ready. You could never ask them to do too much. And for those wannabes out there that uh, are blessed with that kind of talent, they had great work habits. They did not mess around. I mean, when they came to practice, hell, you thought they were playing a game. Let's talk about your transition into the college game. You come back uh, to college in 2007 as a linebackers coach at San Diego, then spent some time in New Mexico State before then becoming the D.C. at San Diego, and you've been the head coach there since 2013. What what lured you back to college? What, what made you want to coach at the college level later in your career? Well, my wife would not leave San Diego. And <laughs> when I came back here from the Redskins, uh, I had a friend, Dave Adolph, who I coached with at the Chargers. I called Dave, and Dave – was the defense coordinator here at the University of San Diego. And I said, Dave, I don't have anything to do. Can I come down to your limo driver? And he said, uh, I'm getting ready to retire. I'm going back to Ohio. I'll go talk to Ron Carragher, who was the head coach, about maybe giving you a shot. I came down the next day. I didn't even know where the school was. And honestly, I was here eight, eight years and hadn't heard of it. And I came down and talked to Ron Carragher. He gave me a uh, a shot to come here and coach for nothing. And I did. I enjoyed it. And uh, that was the start of my tenure here at USD. And I left and went to New Mexico State with Dwayne Walker for three years. I promised Dwayne I'd stay over there three years. I did. And I came back here. Ron happened to have a job open, and he gave me an opportunity. And then he left, and of all things, he recommended me. And I luckily fell into this. And uh it's been uh, really rewarding. I, I, I think you uh, get more somehow seeing uh, an 18-year-old grow into a 22-year-old and go off into the world and make something of themselves. Uh, I think it's nice to have coached in the NFL, but there's a little different flavor when you're helping an 18-year-old become 22 and he gets a great job or we have one or two, three players in the league. So it's been it's it's very very nice and and I'm very grateful to the University of San Diego for giving me a chance. Well, a couple more things for you, Coach. Thanks for taking the time today. Dale Lindsay joining us, the head coach for San Diego. His Toreros take on Montana State on Saturday in Bozeman and. One broad question I want to ask you, Coach, the fact that you've been involved in football for the majority of your life and for decades and decades and decades, how has football in general, in your mind, changed? What are the biggest changes you've seen to the game? Well, they actually give players water this day and age. I never <laughs> saw that. I, I, when I started in the seventh grade in, in Bowling Green, Kentucky, they had the seventh, eighth, and ninth grade team and the varsity team and my parents lived directly across from the high school practice field. And I started there in the seventh grade, 1955. I got my first drink of water in 1971 in Cleveland. And nobody died of dehydration or anything. And we didn't have a very good diet. So I, I, I think the thing I've seen is hydration, uh, weight room, uh, emphasis on diet and, uh, I think there's a lot of players from the dark ages, including myself, who could play today. But I think the players of today are better trained and better nutrition. They're hydrated. And uh, I think it's sort of like, I, I kid the guys all the time, we didn't play by the Marcus of Queensbury rules either. It's like you could crack back below the waist. 
and uh, there wasn't a lot of rules back then. It was like, uh, hey, the strongest survive, and, and if you get hurt, so be it. And that's just the way it was. It was a different. I think it was a little more physical and a different game back then. But I think it's a, a much faster and better coach game today by uh, by the players and the coaches that are involved. Let's talk about this matchup this weekend. Montana State coming off a 45-7 win over Drake. Drake is from the Pioneer Football League as well, so a team that your squad's familiar with. But, Coach, when you put on the, the tape, what do you see out of the Bobcats? Well, I see a very physically talented team that's very tough. Uh, love their offensive line. Uh, they're a good bunch of guys. I think their quarterback is extremely talented. They're running back the same way. Wide receivers, uh, Looks like the quarterback gets bored every now and then, drops back and says, well, I'm just going to throw this 50 yards. Somebody run under it, catch it. And they do. I think it's a very good uh, outfit that uh, will be very competitive in the big sky. And uh, I know that uh, I think probably the worst beating we've taken since I've been a head coach here was our first year in the playoffs when we played the University of Montana at their home stadium. I have a great respect for the Montana football system because they're a bunch of tough guys, and uh, we're looking forward to come up and do the best we can against them. Personnel-wise, when you look at the defense, uh, number 15, Troy Anderson, he's uh, all, all everything, done everything in his career, uh, exceptional player. I mean, he's been all-league and all-American at running back, quarterback, linebacker, everything. Now he's playing in the middle of that defense. I know he's only uh, played that Mike spot for two games, so you've probably only seen him this year uh, play in that spot. But uh, is he a guy that stands out? And if so, what stands out about him? And is there anybody else that pops on film for you defensively for the Cats? Well, I like their size and, and the way they run to the ball. Good tackling. Uh, I think all good defenses are good tacklers, and I, I see that from uh, Montana State. And uh, we're going to have to figure out a way on offense to try to minimize that, try to get some more one-on-one shots, maybe make somebody miss in the, in the open field or, or closing space. But I don't see a, I don't see a lot of holes in their in any part of their game. Well, Coach, last thing for you then, you mentioned all of this awesome stories that you have throughout your coaching career. And just, you know, like you said, it was it's not even really a job for you. You had a hobby that you got paid for. But what keeps you in it now? I mean, what, what keeps you going still as you reach now, you know, your fifth or sixth decade as a college coach, a, a pro coach, everything in between? What keeps you invested in the game and keeps you, you chugging along here at San Diego? I just like football. I always have. And, and, Coming down here every day, I look forward to it. I like interacting with the coaches. Um, I also really enjoy the the little give and take with the players, the challenge of going to practice and trying to get it right. And I know the players sometimes, they don't like to hear this, but do it over. When we don't do it right, we get a chance to repeat it. And it's just an exciting moment for me every day to uh, be around football. Now, there are some days I remember uh, Fritz Shermer, who was the defense coordinator for the Packers, told Mike Holmgren sometimes, he said, sometimes, Mike, I'm not going to feel like coming in on Monday. <laughs> and he wouldn't do it. There, there are some days when I don't want to get out of bed early and come on down here, but once I get up and get going, I can't wait to get here. And uh, I just think it's a, a joy 
to be around the 10, 11 men I work with and be around the 75, 80 guys we have on our squad who are uh, constantly keeping you on your toes. You learn something from them every day. Uh, there's only 50 year difference between my age and them. And of course, we don't see things the same way. And sometimes I have to learn to see things their way. It's, it's a it's an opportunity to grow every day, and I look forward to it. And I hope to continue on. Well, Coach, it's been a distinct pleasure catching up with you, getting to know you a little bit, and hearing your stories. I've always been fascinated by your career and uh, what led you now to coaching in the FCS. But uh, you're definitely a guy that has a lot of respect from people here in the state of Montana, and we can't thank you enough for joining us here on the ESPN Roundtable on Nuanas Now. Well, it's been a pleasure. We look forward to seeing you guys on Saturday. Dale Lindsay. Head coach for San Diego, his team takes on Montana State Saturday afternoon, Bobcat Stadium. Coach, safe travels, and in the meantime, best of luck on Saturday. All right, thank you very much. College athletics is a fundamental part of the fabric of our communities in Montana, and it's the stories of these young men and women that drive our passion at Skyline Sports. Coulter Nuanas here. In 2015, my brother Brooks and I founded SkylineSportsMT.com. As a lifelong athlete, Brooks has an elite knowledge of football with a deep perspective with his time spent playing safety for the Montana Grizz football team, while I won a collection of sports writing awards, including 2010 Washington Sports Writer of the Year during my time in newspapers. Together, we can offer you the best sports journalism in the state with crisp writing, unbiased reporting, cutting-edge photography, and a grassroots feel that belies the corporate takeover of modern media this day and age. As Montana natives, we have a deep historical knowledge of the fiercest rivalry in the West. We share a combined 22 years experience involved in the Big Sky Conference. That experience gives us unparalleled knowledge of Montana, Montana State, and Big Sky Conference athletics. If you'd like to experience this with us, visit SkylineSportsMT.com and subscribe for only $8 a month or $90 a year. SkylineSportsMT.com. Every day, every season.